and welcome back after a long hiatus to The Game Pit. This is episode 56 and it's our big review of 2015. It's a big review, Sean, and it's a big year and we couldn't possibly do this by ourselves. So we have invited one of our friends into The Game Pit this time around to join us. Hello, full on Paul. Hello. We've got celebrated royalty with us. Fulon is not only a beautiful man, he's also reigning game pit, battle report champion, and possibly king of France. Uh, yes, I mean, a lot of my training the early part of the year went towards that, and I'm glad that paid off. Really, since then, I've just been sort of living off that victory. Girls, that, that kind of stuff gets you is fairly impressive. And he was in such a strong position going forward if we did. <laughs> I once won some of a game of Virgin Queen. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's just made me more happy in who I am, really. I've always kind of, you know, questioned myself, am I doing the right things? But that, that I think, is is a pretty resounding vindication of the way I've lived my life to this point. (laughs) Right, so as we go over the year, we're going to be going through the games in different categories. We're going to tell you the such like our favourite expansion, obviously our top five of 2015. You can't play all games in a year, so we're going to tell you our top five new to us, games that came out of the dust, and at the end we're going to tell you three games each that we're looking forward to. So we're hoping to cover the whole gamut of games. <laughs> Who doesn't enjoy a good gamut? Okay, so as always, you can catch the Game Pit on the Dice Tower Network along with a whole host of wonderful podcasts and ourselves. We're also on 2d6.org. Go there for fantastic written audio and visual material about board gaming. So the first list of games we're going to take you through for 2015 is The One Got Away, as Sean mentioned. A game that we really wanted to play that was released in 2015, but we just did not get around to it. And I'm going to go first, and my choice is Food Chain Magnet, the heavy Euro game from Splotter about developing a fast food restaurant and possibly a chain of them in a local area. It's a tight, heavy Euro. You can hear from what I've said, it's got that different theme of developing a, a fast food franchise. Why have I not played it? Well, I've heard it can be too unforgiving and that it's possible for players to basically be out before they really get into the meat of the game. It can last three or four hours and it needs the right crowd. The second thing I'll say is that in terms of looks, the game itself, the board on the table doesn't look fantastic, although the player aids and lots of other things around there are very thematic. So I really want to try this game before I buy it. The only thing I'm worried on the other way, though, is that it, like a lot of splotter games, it may go out of stock before I even get to try it and play it. So Food Chain Magnet, the quicker I get to give it a go, the quicker I can make a final decision on whether I want to play it or not. Sean, has this one caught your eye? It has. Um, it was actually Eric Summer from the Dice Tower. that uh, He's a big fan of the splotter games, and he mentioned it on a few of their podcasts. Are you name-dropping already? I am name-dropping. I am name-dropping. He mentioned Shame. it around Essen. Hussie. Spot, I think you even spotted him with it under his arm or something, didn't you, Ronan? So I refuse to name drop Sean. I'm not saying a word. Yes, I did. Yes, me and my buddy Eric. Yeah. Splotter, completely with you. Splotter, just one of those companies. They they make these games, but some of them look really print and playish. This one, I think, is on the higher end of their spectrum. And the game, although it looks sterile and unenticing. I've actually had a look at it now, and I'm actually quite intrigued, Rona. So if you do manage to get it, I would like to play it with you. 
Yeah, I'm I'm up for it as well. I've never played a Splatter game, but I'm tempted by this one. I think at the board game club we go to, I've got a copy and I've kind of looked at it enviously. It seems a bit more accessible a theme than than a lot of the others. A kind of food chain thing. We've obviously everyone's been to McDonald's. We all know what it's about. And I agree with both about the art. I mean, I think it's basic as all the games are, but with this one, the kind of sort of fifties vibe, it seems to work. We're in a Dutch Mexican standoff. Of we all want to play it, but no one wants to buy it. <laughs> <laughs> which is the opposite of the next game. Sean, you're one that got away. Well, my one that got away, Ronan, is Forbidden Stars from Fantasy Flight. It is right up my street. It's a sprawling Warhammer planet conquest game where you're all starting different corners of the map and you're fighting and doing various things to interfere with each other. Why haven't I got this one played? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yes. The children in the for the children in the audience get your look of fours out of play. <laughs> um, why haven't I played it? It's a big, big fantasy flight game, and it terrifies me that that rule book is going to be impossible to learn. I haven't quite managed to take the plunge. I got it for Christmas, so I will be playing it in 2016, but just haven't managed it so far. I have been lucky enough to play this. I'm going to talk about it a bit more later. Thankfully, someone taught it to me, so I've no idea whether the rule is a manageable task or not. But I don't envy you. Get someone else to teach you. That's definitely the way to play this. Yeah, I'm also going to talk about this game later. Now, we've been pretty hopeful about Fantasy Flight rulebooks in the recent past, and that they've improved onto two rulebook systems. And Sean brought it up. We're reviewing a Fantasy Flight game next episode, and let me tell you, they've gone back to the Dark Ages. <laughs> Oh, terrible. It's a nice positive way to start 2016 then, was it? Oh, goodness. Oh, Paul, honestly. (laughs) The worst of the worst. Anyway, bring us somewhere more positive. Paul, what's your one that got away? Uh, My one that got away is Blood Rage by Eric Lang, produced by Call Me or Not. Getting so much hype. I know a few of you guys have played it, like Perrier and Lloyd, and have enjoyed it. I've just never been in the right place at the right time to get a game of it in. I'm hopeful. I really like Chaos in the Old World sort of redoing of that should be right up my street although you know the kickstarter thing does put a, a note of caution in my head as to whether it's going to be all it's cracked up to be or not yeah i'm not going to go into the kickstarter part of it seeing as my copy say there was a few problems but i have played it paul and i will be talking about it later in the show but definitely one that's interested me i should have recorded your comments and released them uncensored. <laughs> okay i also have not played blood rage but we are going to be playing it tomorrow as we record we just missed out on it i am very excited to give it a go the only guess slight hesitation on the game even though i'm very excited is that sometimes these types of games can tip a little bit past my happy place into what we'll call bullshit territory in that it gets too swingy too lucky too unpredictable and actually good play is not fully rewarded um, you're a gamer at heart but really excited to try it out the problem i have now paul's mentioned it sean's got other issues but i wasn't part of the kickstarter and it has got that cool mini or not problem off if you don't get in the first wave of the kickstarter you don't get all that extra stuff you're sometimes hesitant to buy it because you miss out it's going to come up again later in the episode i'm going to talk about another game where this has happened but there you go blood rage really excited to try it tomorrow with sean okay and there we have it that's the three nominations for the one that got away for this year So the second category of games we're going to go over is The Green-Eyed Monster, 
we have all chosen one game for each of the other people on this podcast that they have played in 2015 that we have not that we wish we had I hope you're following all that we're basically jealous of each other so I'm going to choose a game that Paul's played a different game that Sean's played etc etc and kicking us off is Sean and his rampant jealousy of me it is it is Ronan when we were at London on board on sea down at Eastbourne recently you played a game called Time of Soccer by Elite Games and I've got to say the designer's name the designed by Lipschitz and it is essentially the board game version of what we'd spent most of our formative years doing, sitting in a room playing football management simulations. And eating ham rolls and donuts. Ham rolls and donuts being shouted at by our parents to get out and stop stinking the house out. And wash. And, and wash. And do <laughs> various other things. Yeah, myself and Rona are absolute big fans of the football management games, championship manager back in the day, and this seems to be the board game version of it. Ronan was having an absolute barrel of fun. I was on the table next to him. I was playing a decent game myself, but I kept looking over jealously at all the fun that they were having playing this game. So that's my green-eyed monster game. Can you get Andy Cole to score 70 goals a season? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then he gets bought by an Italian team. It's like, <laughs> arbitrary. Right? Yeah. Yeah, something like that. Who was the Finnish guy, Ronan? Oh, Sig Thornton. Uh, Andre Sig Thornton, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> we could do easily three hours of great championship players. Yeah, and our sister podcast. Yeah, it's, it's actually what's funny is you see the players that you buy every time and then now they're becoming good because they're getting their early 20s and you bought them when they were 16, like seven years ago anyway. And having talked about the theme... I really enjoyed Time of Soccer, not just because I won the cup final 8-1 and won the double. No, let's not talk about that. <laughs> but almost entirely because of the theme. Yeah, as Sean said, we spent months, month, literally months of my life playing my Android games. We add it all up. This is actually quite a tight efficiency management game in part, in which you're going around, you're recruiting players, you're getting scouts, you're running every aspect of the football club. But then it goes into total random nonsense really in match resolving it's not completely random you're you're weighting probabilities but you're rolling a bunch of dice so the, the worst team can win i guess that is like football the problem you have a time of soccer and before i say problem i really really did enjoy the game i'll focus on that but there are fewer games for that luck to even out you're only playing eight or ten games in a league season so a couple of spikes here and there and suddenly you're behind the game the game does run pretty long. It's several hours long to cover a whole season. The development of the cup is kind of... It feels nice at the beginning because you're putting together a team, but then it seems very accelerated and everything gathers pace and it does feel a bit strange towards the end and there's a little bit of the rich get richer. If you're doing well, you get more fans, you get more money and, and you can go on from there. So there's definitely a peak to where you go with the game. But, and again, massively because of the theme, I really, really enjoyed Time of Soccer. I didn't know much about this one until I you know, saw it on the show notes. There. I've, I think I've seen it ad- advertised. I think, when I, I think Paul's been quite keen on it. Yeah, it's, it's Board Game Guru was one of the few stockists in the yeah. UK of the game, yeah. But I don't, even, even with your uh, sort of impassioned description, I'm not sure. I don't know. I'm nervous that, you know, I find it hard to believe that a football board game could be any good. And uh, sort of was thinking, oh, I'm willing to give this a go until you said it was sort of multiple hours long. And I don't know. I don't. I don't know if it's quite my thing. Although, having said that, there's a sports game coming up that um, exceeded my expectations. So maybe this could be another one. It's almost the opposite of that game. Okay. <laughs> almost the opposite. It's so long. But yeah, it is lots of fun. 
for me, my choice, and I said I was going to talk about it later, <laughs> just in the last segment, it's Forbidden Stars. And Paul's played it. We've already discussed it briefly. We'll just go over here. I bought it the week it came out, and it hasn't been out of shrink. And it's definitely one of my 2016 resolutions, is to get this played. We're talking about maybe doing a battle report episode so that I guess Paul can retain his crown, seeing as he's champion and all the rest of it. No, I'm retiring. <laughs> you won't be able to win on any uh, fluky dice rolls in the first hour of an eight-hour game. I can't circumnavigate the globe, that's what. Rachel has not forgotten that. <laughs> constantly mentioned, constantly mentioned. Are you going to take the French orcs? Yes, yeah. <laughs> I'm convinced I'm going to love Forbidden Stars. Absolutely convinced. If I get leave from work and I get a couple of spare days I'm going to get it out I'm going to learn it we're going to play this I want to learn all the different factions I love the idea of the stacking the orders I love the cult I just it all appeals to me so jealous Sean Forbidden Stars yeah ditto ditto Ronan I'm very jealous of Paul having played this uh, that's why it was on my the one that got away absolutely everything you said Ronan if you would be that person who learns the rules then hats off to your bean if are you, you just please. using me again I'm using you and abusing you. It's not nice. <laughs> yeah, and as I said last time, I'm going to talk about it later. I'll tell you a bit more about it then. You're so coy. You've got to, you know, got to keep you interested. <laughs> Peeking out from behind the fan of your order card. <laughs> Paul, what's your choice? How do you know what I'm wearing? Um, <laughs> so my choice for Green Eye Monster is The Voyages of Archipelago, published by FTZ, amongst others. Um, this wasn't really on my radar coming into the year, but you guys have been banging on, particularly Ronan, about how much you've been enjoying it. Played it many times. You seem to only play it when I'm not there to, to play it with you. And this year for me is a year that I've really, really got back into the kind of heavier Euro. And I'm just, yeah, really sort of really disappointed that I missed out on it. Sounds, sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, I deliberately play it when you're not there because I like to see your grumpy face. Uh, no surprise, probably, to anyone who listens to the podcast. I'm going to feature this later in one of the lists for 2015, so I'll talk about it then. For me, it came really, really close to my top five. I'm still thinking, should I put it in? Definitely in my yes. top ten for this <laughs> for the year. Um, the game itself, it just has so much longevity that I think even the games that are in my top five, I think this one might outlast some of them in terms of I'll still be playing this long after them. So, yeah, definitely a top top game of the year for me I'm hearing my name's Sean and I was wrong not to put this in the top five <laughs> of course no spoilers Sean redeem yourself right my second choice for this is a game that Paul's managed to play I'm not sure if Ronan's managed to play a game of it but it's Mysterium from Liberland and Asmodee uh, this is the very famous game that came out in Polish a couple of years ago. This is the English version that's been released. It's a game where a group of people are trying to find out who committed a murder. And the murdered person is now a ghost and they can leave them little clues and they've got to pick up on the clues. And very much a murder mystery, but with a Dixit feel to it. But definitely a game that uh, I really, really want to play with the right group, I think. But yeah, I'm very jealous of Paul for playing it. Yeah, and you should be. It's a good one. Ronan has played it, I know, because he's played it with me. And we, we're not really on the same wavelength. I think that's that's what that proved. Um, <laughs> I'm an amazing ghost. Me, me, and, me and Rachel, though, me and, me and Ronan's girlfriend, we are. I don't know what you want to draw from that. Um, I'll, possibly I'll, even I'll include that. I'll France in again. And <laughs> we all know where that's going. That's, that's very true. Um, so, yeah, I mean, really good game. I'm going to be talking about it later on. But, uh, but definitely, I think, one you'd enjoy. And 
You know what? I think one actually that it doesn't matter so much about the group. I think it's good enough that it works with people that you might not initially expect it to. It can be funny with a group that completely don't understand each other, but yes, more for yeah. observers than for people playing. This was on one of my lists for last year. I love the game. It's most similar game to it is Dixit, in which you're you're getting clues from cards. It's not as open as Dixit. And that is both a good and a bad thing. And I think it works better with certain groups and Dixit works better with certain other groups. You don't have that pressure of being wildly creative, which some people don't like in Dixit. It hasn't, however, got the replayability of Dixit. In this house, we've got a Christmas tradition that my youngest daughter gets the expansion cards for Dixit every Christmas. It's six years in a row now. So we have got them all. And obviously, we never see the same combinations ever anymore. With Mysterium, I've played it a lot. I'm starting to see the same artwork sometimes. I get linked to the same items. There is, in fact, an expansion coming out strictly for the Polish version, although what difference that makes, I'm not sure how long it's going to take to get to the English. No idea. So it's a really good choice, Sean, and I'm actually really surprised you never played it, and I'm pretty certain you'll love it. Good stuff, good stuff. Ronan, I think you're up now, old boy. I am, and it's a game you've played that I'm very jealous of, Sean, and it's Fury of Dracula, the third edition, which came out this year for Fantasy Flight Games. I've wanted to try this game since I got back into gaming 10 years ago when I think the second edition was just starting to float around. This year, or gallingly, I have seen the first, second, and third editions being played and missed out on getting in the game every single time. That is just mean. I love one versus all games. I love the idea of this hunt. I like the theme. I can't imagine not liking it. Paul, any thoughts on Fury of Dracula? Also, sorry, it's got the best review on Board Game Geek from, is it the Eclectic Gamers? The ones where the guy dresses up as Dracula. Have you seen it? I, linked I, I have not. Oh, I'll have to look it up. Look up the videos for Fury of Dracula or Borgengate. It's hilarious. It is, it is very good. I'm not usually a big fan of, of some of the videos they do, but this one is very good. Very, very good. I'll have to check it out. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm with Ronan up to a point. Got into the hobby a few years ago. And at that point, if it was available, I'd have bought it in a, in a heartbeat. But now, I'm just not so sure that I'd like it. I love hidden movement games, but I've, I've kind of gone off thematic dungeon crawly although it's not i know it's not really dungeon crawly but kind of rpg games in a big way this year and i've just yeah in a similar way to um one of the games we spoke about earlier blood rage but to a lesser extent with blood rage i just there's that kind of american kind of ameritrashy edge to it that just makes me nervous i think we say ameritrash now so we don't know i think somebody else does (laughs) (laughs) tart (laughs) it is over to you sean sean defend your genre on that bombshell. Actually, I don't like the term Merry Trash. I think it's very insulting. But um, No, we call it Sean Games. Sean Games. Yeah. Sean Games. Or Jacob Games is uh, a viable term. Right, yeah. So, with Ronan, this is a game that I've been trying to track down for a while to try and get into my collection. The second editions were going for something stupid until the third edition was announced, and then they all tried to offload them. And... I'm going to be talking more about this later on. So I think I'm next with my second choice for uh, Green and the Game. And mine's Time Stories by Preggy Chestnut and Manuel Rizzoi, um, published by Asmodee Games. Again, this is a game that's got a hell of a lot of hype this year. Really innovative, this kind of idea of the game being a system and then you plug modules into it. So you've kind of got this disposable game expansion that you buy and play through once really only. As I sort of alluded to with the last, with the last uh, game, I found over the course of this year that I haven't really been enjoying the sort of story-driven games I've played, but this one's getting rave reviews, so it might be the last or 
possibly second last game that I'd kind of give a go that before I ignore this genre completely, really. The last hope for story games. Yeah, and yeah. Last, last or second bubble. last, yeah. Ouch. It's like it's a wonderful life. <laughs> <laughs> the death knell has been sounded. Hey, fun. There's an angel going to visit me and tell me how my life would have been different without story games. We could ask Sean to buy a costume. <laughs> Not another one. Shh. Oh, for me, it's a game that definitely I was interested in, but it was something holding me back from actually taking the plunge and buying it. Maybe it just seemed a little bit clinical from a distance. I don't know if it had the charm of, of some of the other storytelling games out there. That, like, for instance, Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective. I find that a very charming game. But I solved my problem by buying it for Ronan, so he used it as my guinea pig, didn't I, Ronan? There's a theme. And I'm not talking about it in the game. I ain't your... So I have played Time Stories. Now, there are three modules available as we speak. I've only played through the one in the Box Asylum, although I have got Marcy Case lined up. I liked it, but I didn't love it. Obviously, it looks amazing. It is reminiscent of Sherlock Holmes. It has got all the story issues. You do need to kind of get into the story to make it fun. In fact, you have no choice. You have to follow the story because you're being led by the nose. This particular scenario did feel like a computer game tutorial. It seems like you were determined that you had to see everything that was in the game. You had to visit every single location to solve it almost. And, and in effect you would have to in order to sort of get rid of all the red herrings and, and all the dead ends and see everything. And I hope that that was deliberate for this particular scenario as the first one. I hope that it was showing you how to play the game so that they can do cleverer things with scenarios going forward. Because you do just get led down blind dead ends. There's no way of knowing they are a dead end. And that can be funny the first time. And there is one that is particularly funny. It wastes your time in the game, wastes your time therefore in effect. But it did genuinely make us laugh and we've been making jokes about it since it happened and it's quite early on so but i won't spoil it but then when they're making you follow another dead end another dead end and then you have to do a reset and you realize you've got another hour and a half of gaming because you follow these dead ends and there was no way of knowing that they were dead ends then that's a problem there was no sort of clever way of saying oh hold on there was a clue there that told us don't go down there or don't walk in that room or don't talk to that person it was just we have to explore everything to get the information we need or make sure we've got it it's interesting you say that. That's gonna. That's a sort of a very similar comment to a, to one I'm going to make about a game sort of coming up later in the episode. I wonder whether that's going to hurt them in the long run. I mean, they've kind of made a rod for their own back with you know with the innovative kind of disposable nature. If you're if you're the box you sell people at first, if that game isn't as good as it can be, I wonder if you're going to lose customers who then won't go back for the for the second or the third sort of well, instalment. I'm- really interested to hear now what people have to say about Prophecy of Dragons because it's just hit the shelves because the majority of the feedback I heard was people didn't like the Marcy case as much as the Asylum Mm -hmm. now I can see why the Asylum theme is possibly more appealing there were one or two hints in Asylum of cleverer things to do with the system and cleverer puzzles and ways of getting you to actually think and use your brain rather than just get led around by the nose I'm hoping there's more of that I think think the Marcy case I'm genuinely I don't know anything I haven't said anything but I think it's more fighty and it's more like a, a kind of adventure game almost more like a dungeon crawl if you like but set in the 90s and and there's there's some sort of disappearance at the heart of it what is the theme of that one because you know I, I, that's another thing from that the title tells me nothing the Marcy um, case is I believe it's 1992 and there's a girl called Marcy and she's disappeared 
Okay. I think you've got to investigate what the situation is. That's as much as I know, mate. You have to, you have to report back with what you think. Yeah, I, I, I will. I'm sure Sean's going to borrow back time story as soon as he bought it for me. We'll, <laughs> we'll do a full run through. That's the whole point of buying things. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <Obviously>. <laughs> Um, but I mean I was hooked enough to buy Marcy Case I did enjoy it don't get me wrong I'm not blown away by it I, I am kind of hoping for more if it was box after box of this quality I, I, I would invest for a while put it that way it's strong I hope it grows and to be honest you know the fantasy one that's come out Prophecy of Dragons I'm not that excited I'm going to talk later about fantasy themes I'm not that excited about that I'm actually looking forward to the Pharaoh one which will be the next one after that so I've only spent like 100 quid on this stage but, uh, <laughs> just, to, just to work out if you like it yeah Yeah, I'm kind of looking forward it, but it's got that pandemic legacy thing of what's next it's hidden what is there He's got yeah. form for that, Paul. I think it's probably the game we talked about most so far, so it's clearly something to... I feel a little bit like that's putting me off. Like, if someone's spent their money on something they can use once, do I want to be someone sitting there not enjoying it in the corner, ruining their enjoyment? You know, I need to be really convinced that I'm going to like it before I before I kind of risk ruining someone else's fun, I think. I really enjoyed it. We played it in, in our three sessions in a row. We actually made time to play it. Mm -hmm. Uh, the third run through was slightly irritating because we having to go and do things and find things when you get to a dead end when you're getting close to the end that's really irritating because you've literally just wasted time but we've been talked about it since I've watched videos on it since I've been watching some of the Dice Tower playthrough and it was really entertaining so there's definitely something there there's a hook it's got uh, like a brain worm in me mm -hmm. and, and I do want to play it again and, and see where it goes that's the Green Eyed Monster section So here we go. This section is all about the game that you've played once this year, but really want to play again and again and again. Ronan, what's your choice? Well, I have to give a nod to Sam Healy from the Dice Tower here. He did a video review of Starfighter from Mystari Games, and it brought it to my attention, and then one of our contributors, Lloyd, had it at, again, LOBNC, and we played it once, and it was early in the morning as in the early hours I, I was well into my cups as they say <laughs> and I was surprised how much I really genuinely enjoyed this game it was thinking than I thought it was going to be it's basically you're controlling let's say a star cruiser or a larger starship and you're playing directly against one opponent it's a two player game and you're sending out fighters to defend yourself and to damage the opponent and the fighters are on cards which come with two sides to them and spatially where you play them can be in one of five columns now the different ships are different length of columns in effect different shapes different footprints so they have different lanes in which they can fire and fit more cards and as you put the cards down you cover up half of the card below it so you're, you're checking to see which half you want covered or not covered and then the cards can get blown up as you get attacked so they can uncover and reveal and have effects as they become uncovered so you're almost laying traps and it's like a dynamic tower defense game where you're both attacking and defending down five different channels you can also if you win initiative you can move the ships so you swap which channels are against each other it's not long or deep well, in fact it is quite deep surprisingly deep but not you know massively into it it is just laying cards down quickly but lots and lots of fun a real surprise hit and I want to play it more Starfighter yeah I mean I've never heard of this uh, prior to you mentioning it prior to the show I've had a quick look on the on uh, on BGG 
looks good. It looks interesting. Sound your your description is very intriguing. I'd be well up for playing this if you get hold of a copy or if we can wrestle it off you Lloyd. Tap Lloyd up. Yeah. Lloyd has a copy, tap him up your two player day. Yeah. It looks interesting. How long does it actually play, Ronan? Now I I will go over the fact that I was winning my cups again. <laughs> that's just no, that's think... just a given. We'll just we'll just take that as a given, shall we? <laughs> it was after half nine in the morning, I'd had me conflict. Around I'd say half an hour, mate. Did, did I sound sure? <laughs> You nearly, you nearly pulled that off. You nearly got away with it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not massively long. It's definitely under an hour. I'm going to say between 30 and 45 minutes. Well, I was worried. It actually looks quite complicated. Uh, from the brief glance that I've had of it, it looks quite complicated. It looks like there's a lot going on. If you say it plays out in about half an hour, then, yeah, that actually makes me more interested in it. Yeah, I think there's, there's a, you know, a lot of room in a lot of people's collections for a thinky, fast two-player game. I think that's a, this could be a hit. Yeah, I think the only thing maybe play lots of two player games with your partner are they going to be into a sci fi Starfighter game? Yeah. If they are, yeah. brilliant. If they're not, the theme may put some people off. And it didn't attract me initially. But while there is lots going on, it's quite simple. It's not complicated chains, it's simple things each car can do. The decisions are what make it groovy. Cool. Right, so uh, mine want more, and this is where my sort of credibility starts to fall apart. I know. It's not. Up to this point, I have been sounding very knowledgeable. <laughs> but yeah, my game I want to play more, despite how much I've gone on about uh, liking it so far, is Forbidden Stars. I've played it once. That's the kind of big admission of the episode. But I love it. I love it. Unfortunately, I played it right before I had a couple of months off gaming because I have an exam at work. I think I missed the window when everyone was excited about it. Obviously, everyone barring you two. At the moment, I think I request it every time we meet up to play games. And it's just a difficult game to get to the table. It's long, it's involved. And as I'll go into in a bit more depth later on, it really works best with three players, which is quite a quite an awkward number. Not often the number that you have it sort of like a game day. Or, but I will get it played more. And yeah, I, know it's, I, I can only imagine liking it more and more as I get more plays in. Uh, well, I think you have a, an audience right here. I think myself and Ronan are desperate to play it. You've played it. I think we need to set up a date, pool. Three is why, a magic why, number. Why are we still recording? <laughs> <laughs> let's put this out. We've covered enough games. Let's go play. <laughs> yeah, this is long enough. We're all shift workers. We almost have like the odd Tuesday afternoon off together where we can shut ourselves from the world and just get on with yeah, it. Yeah, it must be possible. Must be. It must be. I'm really looking forward to this, Paul. Your excitement, I know you keep on asking for it, and you will say, I'm sorry, mate, I haven't learned it yet. Uh, It's driving me on. We will play this. It is one of my resolutions, as I said. Sean, take us away from the misery we're in of not having played Forbidden Stars. <laughs> okay, so it's a game we have already mentioned, like Forbidden Stars. This is Fury Dracula Fantasy Flight. Sean, I said take us away from the misery of a game we haven't played. <laughs> and another, and another Fantasy Flight rulebook for you as well. In, Why? Into the mix. Right, so Fury of Dracula is a game where one player is Dracula. The other players are all the hunters and they're trying to hunt down Dracula and catch him. Very much in the Letters from Whitechapel style, which if anybody's listened to this show, I've mentioned it many, many times. It's been one of my favourite games. I love that style of game. I love the, as Ryan said, the one versus many. This game provides just that little bit more than Letters of Whitechapel. Letters of Whitechapel, you're just moving around the board. You don't really do a lot. There's a couple of things you can do, but this one, Dracula's got his own cards. He can set up traps. There's a fight system going on. The third edition's actually condensed the fighting system, so it's made it easier. It's still quite unintuitive 
but it's made it easier and faster and yeah really loved my one player this game it's just getting those people together that want to play this and that's been problematic for me well there's there's nothing fantasy flight love more than an unintuitive flight system <laughs> indeed yeah, as I said earlier, I'm a bit I'm a bit wary on this one, but I think I think if I'm gonna enjoy it, I'm gonna enjoy it with guys like you and Ronan and Sean. I think people who are really keen on it, maybe if Ronan, drunk people. Yeah, I was gonna say maybe if Ronan's giving me a couple of those cups he was talking about earlier, um, <laughs> that could be the ideal time for this game. And then it, I think probably at that point it doesn't really matter if you get the uh, the fight system down quite right, as long as you're having fun. You can actually fight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Sean, I've got a couple of questions, but I've already said that I really want to play it. Do you think that it will work best with more players? I think that the game runs quite long. I think maybe three or four. I don't think you really want to be getting up to five. I think three probably is, again, the magic number. But, yeah, four, four would be nice. I think five is just stretching it that little bit too long. And it does play quite long. Even the two-player game I played, it, it, it did last quite a while. The only other slight issue with the game is that the Dracula player, if they're not completely invested in being Dracula and watching what everyone's saying and watching what everyone's doing, they, they, do, they can be sat sort of alone, not doing much for long periods of time. Okay, and you mentioned the combat. You said that they've kind of streamlined it. Is the combat actually fun? <sighs> That's enough. <laughs> it did sound like it. It's it's interesting and it's and it has been streamlined enough to make it is interesting long for no. <laughs> It's not no, it's not out and out fun, but it's not it's not boring either. There there is a little bit of excitement to it and it gets out of the way quick enough to, to not be a problem and not be too detrimental to the game itself. The best thing Sean can say about the combat is it's quick. It gets out of the way quickly. <laughs> oh, that's glorious. Okay, well, those are the three games that we just want some more of from 2015. This section is all about that game that's been lurking on your shelves for a while, unplayed, and suddenly leapt out of the dust, and you've refound it. Paul, you're first up. So, yeah, I'm kicking this off with Medina uh, by Stefan Dora. There's a new edition out this year. It's published by Stronghold or White Goblin Games, depending on which side of the ocean you're on, or which ocean, indeed. First played this, the first edition, a few years ago, and I really liked it at the time, but, at the, but it was impossible to get hold of. I sort of had a couple of messages on BGG with a guy in Holland about, was he going to send me his copy? And it never really happened. So when this, and I kind of forgot about it for a bit, the second edition came out and picked it up, and I'm glad I did. It sort of reminded me how it's a tight, thinky, really nasty game. You've got to be good friends with the people you're playing with or never want to see them again, because you really can screw each other over. It's got beautiful components, and it looks amazing when it's finished. It's the kind of game that if you're playing in a, in a public space, people are going to be coming over and looking at it. It's really eye-catching. And yeah, I don't know if you guys have played it yet, but you really need to. It's absolutely fantastic. It's not really a game that I've ever played or even wanted to play but i've certainly seen it being played and you're absolutely right paul it is really really eye-catching i'd love to give it a go one day and just just to see what it's like actually just play the game but it is a beautiful looking game is there much difference between the first and second edition 
memories of the first the first edition were, were hazy. I don't think there's a great deal of difference in the quality of the components. They're certainly not any worse. It's still a beautiful looking game. Um, there are a few extra kind of expansion modules added in the in the new version. The sort of most basic, or which is an extra piece, the well, which sort of starts on the board and really I think improves things. It gives you tactical choices early on in the game, which maybe you didn't have in the first edition. Other than that. There are a few extra bits and bobs, and actually one that we didn't play with, there was a, a method by which you could earn the ability to skip a go. And that, it's not going to make a lot of sense if you've not, not played it, but skipping a go in this game is hugely powerful. I can't really imagine, maybe I'm doing a design as a disservice, but I can't imagine how you would implement that in any kind of a balanced way. I don't think it's necessary, so I just didn't, I've never ever played with it. But but the other bits and bobs they've added are, are, have been sort of good additions and have, have tightened it up. So yeah, I think if you've got a choice, go for the, go for the new edition. I think my comment on Medina is how much of it is down to the toy factor, Paul. Um, if it was this sort of an abstract game and it just had tiles or it wasn't as colourful, would it be rated so highly or how much is the enjoyment of playing with something beautiful? I think it probably gets a boost from the components. You know, Definitely, if given the choice between a, a good, boring-looking game and a good, beautiful game, I'd go for the good, beautiful game. But it, it, I think it stands up. It's, it is a good, abstract game. You don't have to learn openings like chess or anything, but it's it's not a kind of throwaway thing. Playing well and, and thinking about your, your strategy it is beneficial. And as I say, it's got a real mean streak to it, which I quite enjoy in games. Well, when I think of playing with something beautiful, I always think of Sean and his choices next. <laughs> oh. thank, you. thank you, my dear. <laughs> so my choice is Kingdom Builder from the, the legendary... Donald X Vaccarino and Queen Games. His, his legend is somewhat tarnished as the years go by. I was, was going to say, leg, legendary status acquired by making a good game. <laughs> He's one of those designers that just sort of stands out when you see his name attached to things as it has it's, been many, many, many times the since X. Dominion. But um, yeah, Kingdom Builder first played it when it very first came out with Steve Paget, who is one of our contributors from our Essen show of two years ago now and it stuck with me I thought it was a really good game it's a area control area building game where you try to build routes and each game has different tasks that you've got to try and complete to score points and yeah it's a really interesting game hadn't played it for ages looking for something that the wife might enjoy last year and I bought the game for him. We never played it, but finally got to play it again this year and thoroughly enjoyed it. It's not a top 100 game even, but I just really enjoyed, enjoyed playing this game and it was my out-of-the-dust choice. I think Kingdom Builder is a really strong game. I enjoy it every time I've played it. I've played it well over a dozen times and I always always overlook it I will never say oh I fancy game of Kingdom Builder but when I play I enjoy it now why is that I'm going to put it down to one factor and I'm going to voice it as a question Sean does it have to look so Euro (laughs) yeah they could have tarted it up a little bit here and there it's very I suppose it's very bland you've got the we're talking about the game or you again (laughs) well column A column B (laughs) Yeah, the the sort of pasture areas look very much like pastures and deserts look like deserts and the board isn't that striking. And yeah, yeah, I see what you're getting at. It's definitely a game that does hide on the shelf a little bit. I'm going to jump in here to defend it. I mean, I'm not its biggest fan. I think for what it is, it's fine. But actually, the look of it, I think, yeah, if you're if you're a seasoned gamer and you've seen a load of Euro games using little, that use little wooden houses, I think it, it looks pretty dull. But 
if you're new to gaming, I think it, you know, it's quite colourful. It's got nice, nice chunky wooden bits. I don't think it's that bad looking again. It's the palette. It's the style of illustrations. It's the faux medieval themey. You know, why do dudes have to look like that? They could look like anything, but they look like they belong to a 1600s city in Europe. <laughs> yeah, and I and I get why that bothers you, and and you know, it is very ubiquitous isn't it a most board game but if you're picking this up off the shelf from WH Smith you don't play board games much I don't think you're going to pick up on that I think you're going to think that it's quite a colourful quite a nice looking game I, th- I think you'll question the hats you might question that okay so we're going to go on to my pick for Out of the Dust now I spoke about this a lot in episode 47 where I talked about solo games so I'll go over quickly it's Lord of the Rings the living card game it is my ultimate love-hate game I hated it when it first came out five years ago I've grown not to love it but I can't get rid of it. I can't walk away from it. I've bought loads of cards for it and I've found a way to play it that works for me. I've just built up some thematic decks which tell stories to myself. When I play, I play the actual kid mode and I ignore the shadow cards when you're encountering enemies, which is the easy mode of doing it. But what that means is that rather than having to optimize a deck to go through each scenario, I can use most decks for most scenarios. And because I play with two decks, if one deck struggles to get through a scenario, I can pick another deck that is more suited to the scenario and help the other one through so that I can play with all my cards and I'm not worrying about being fantastic at it I accept I'm awful I still lose more than I win but I found a way to enjoy Lord of the Rings living card game this year and I'm very happy for that I think you might be on your own with this one mate I think I can can only do one LCG by all accounts this is hard and you're kind of not convincing me it's worth the effort. Do play, you think play kiddie mode? Yeah. Play kiddie mode. Do you think maybe this is kind of you're so bought into it that you've you've got to find a way to enjoy it? I don't know. This is sounds like one to recommend to anybody else. I'm like, <laughs> I'm glad you're having fun, but I'm not it's convinced It's being a Lord would. of the Rings fan and being a living card game fan, and the fact that they're both like I can't, my brain can't accept that I don't like this game. I still only rate it a six. I spent hundreds of pounds on it. <laughs> I know. I know. Oh dear. I can't work out if I overrate it or underrate it. I just, I don't know. Help. I don't know. Paul, you're a doctor. Could you come <laughs> yeah. not, not a good enough doctor. Man, this is serious. <laughs> you need help. There's a lot more things I need help with than this. <laughs> For me, yeah, we've, we've said it many times before. Don't get why you persist with this. I. I hated it from the very first time I played it. It's like an abusive I... relationship. I need to get out. <laughs> I strongly dislike you only do it because they love me. <laughs> <sighs> yes. God, that's got quite dark. <sighs> yeah, I think I think the whole thing's just a, a mire of, of psychological trauma. <laughs> me and Lord of the Rings living card game. Anyway, thanks guys. Thanks for picking up the mood of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to the next category, Let's, shall we? Let. So, is any game complete without every single release associated with it, be it a Spielbox special on the Board Game Geek store or otherwise? And we're going to celebrate gamers' obsessions with having everything by saying what's our best expansion released in 2015? Sean. Well, Ronan, I've kind of moved away from the expansion 
expansion side of the game. But the one that stood out for me from the crowd is for Firefly. It's Firefly Kalidasa. And it's for very simple reasons. I'm going to talk about Firefly later, but it's no secret I really enjoy the game. And it just makes the world in which you explore bigger and this game is all about exploring it's a pick up and deliver game and the further and the more experiences that you have the for me the better the game is so that's my choice for best expansion yeah so firefly is something that's never appealed to me i just going back to you know i'm a bit of a recurring theme here that kind of american-y story heavy game it sounds like you like Firefly but you obviously you do do you think that people who didn't like the base game will find that this fixes anything or is it sort of just more of the same kind of enhances what's it's, already there it's pretty much more of the same Paul if, if you didn't like the base game you're not going to like this it just adds more characters more experiences it it broadens the verse as they call it and there's more places for you to explore so yeah you're not going to enjoy it if you didn't enjoy the base game Seems it seems to be a game that sort of divides opinion. You've got people who really like it. I think it's probably oh, it's highly flawed. <laughs> it's highly flawed. It's absolute bullcrap, but it's enjoyable bullcrap. The deeper we get into this episode, Paul, the more I feel like you need a hug. Why <laughs> <laughs> do you hate fun? Firefly is absolute balls. <laughs> it's really fun and it's definitely one of those games in which more is always better the variety in the theme is what keeps Firefly alive what am I going to pull what am I going to discover what character am I going to find what stupid question am I going to have to do and how is it all going to go wrong in a completely arbitrarily way it is much more fun of a game than it should be and like I say more Firefly is always good I think the important question is is there a hug in the box oh. for you for you Paul there is Always oh, in the box. From darkness to no, darkness. Seen. Now we've got me feeling all happy. My my best expansion of 2015 is really loads of expansions. And I like the way you put it on the show notes, Renan. So my best expansion for 2015 is Baseball Highlights 2045 and All That Jazz by Mike Fitzgerald, uh, published by Eagle Griffin Games. As I said, it's loads of mini expansions. It's The base game was published this year. Then they came out with a deluxe edition that had all the expansions up to that point. Now they've come out with a super deluxe edition, which has all the expansions up to now. They are, like with Firefly, mostly more of the same, but loads more of the same. And then when the same was this good to begin with, you know, that's, that's not a bad thing. Essentially, I'm going to talk about the game in more depth uh, later on, but there are a load of new teams, new players to draft, and they just really make uh, what is a very, very good game get better. Yeah, Baseball Highlights 2045 is a really solid game. I think it's been such a big hit. We're going to talk about it later, but I think it's great for competitions and perfect for conventions. So it got into people's psyche very quickly because you can sit down, you can play, you can learn it, and you feel like you're making decisions immediately. And and that's the hook, I think, which has made it spread so fast. I think the more players in there that you can draft into your team is always great. You know, obviously, in fact, same players again and again. It gives you more strategies. I don't really think I've played it enough to know enough about the different start decks to care that much about that, but it's a surprise hit of the year. The expansions clearly add to it. It's one of those games where you don't want to feel like you're missing out. It's something we talked about previously with Sean that I think mini expansions is a business model that the gaming industry needs to explore a bit more because I will drop four or five quid on something more easily than I'll drop 15 quid, even if it's less than a third of the content because I'll just, oh, I'll just add that on, I'll just add that yeah. on. It will make it over 50 pounds. Yeah, absolutely. It's a real nice way to kind of round out an order online or you, know, you go to your local game shop. 
it it's feels the nice giving bar them some business, here, isn't it? Yeah. And in the supermarket, we go, oh yeah, I'll just grab that as well. I think that we're going to see more. I think Base Pilots has done it right. And also for those of us who buy lots of games, we can buy a box and tell ourselves we're getting loads and loads of content because there's 17 expansions in it, even if they're all a few cards each. Yeah, I mean, I think they've done it absolutely right. As you say, I think this is a really sensible way to sort of go about releasing expansions. But then in addition to that, to, to release these super deluxe editions where mm-hmm. if you just know you want everything right out, the, right out the gate, you can go and get it easily. You don't have to scrabble around. Did I get, have I got that one yet? I think they've done it really well. It's the opposite the whole cool mini or not thing we mentioned earlier and that I don't know how to get everything. Yeah. This they're saying, well, here you go, this is how you get everything. It's just, it suits every consumer. Sean, any thoughts on Baseball Highlights 2045? We have played it very briefly. We, yeah, we did play it very briefly and that's to date has been my only play of it. It didn't blow me away, Ron. It seemed a little bit, a little bit abstract. I didn't really find that the theme was flying through. Even when I was going, do 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 do. Well, even I know you tried your hardest one. It was very sweet of you. <laughs> Ice cream. You got to play it again. I th- I thought that I thought the theme was quite strong. So I didn't I didn't get it. But baseball's one. It's the American sport that I'm probably least interested in. You and the uh, rest of the world. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, I, just, I don't know. I don't know if it really captured a game of baseball or are you just putting down cards? I don't know. I agree with you. I've, I've no idea why anyone likes baseball. But, um, you know, I was giving my robots backstories. They had kind of, you know, their own walk-on music. That's right. <laughs> Well, I don't know. Okay, well, then maybe maybe I needed just to play with you then. Turtlebot's <laughs> back for his third season. <laughs> Turtlebot, Turtlebot, everybody out there. Get Turtlebot, you're guaranteed to win. Turtle, Turtle. <laughs> Which sounds dirty when it, lots of people are charting it. <laughs> okay, we're going to talk about Baseball Highlights 2045 a bit more later, as we said. I'm going to move on to a bit of a funny choice, but I know I think I've got at least one backer here. My choice for the best expansion of 2015 is Heroes of the Aturi Cluster. Now, I have to say, thank you very much to the D6 generation. They had Rafe back as his host emeritus in the third chair, and he mentioned this. It's from the website DockingBay416.com. It's free, but it is print and play. And what it does is it takes the game X-Wing Miniatures and it turns it into both a co-op game and a campaign game, both of which are going to light me up with excitement. It does take a little bit of effort. You've got to print it out and cut it out and sleeve it and everything. But there's an incredible amount of thought and detail gone into the design of this. It sets you through scenarios. You have a pilot and one ship for each player. They are going to develop. You're going to improve your ship. You're going to improve your pilot skills as you go through. There's an AI that drives the enemies. It's a fantastic AI. It's not overly fiddly. It does take a little bit of learning. Playing with higher player counts, this plays up to six players on a team. I think is prohibitive. I wouldn't go above four in all honesty. I haven't played with five and six now. It's incredibly challenging to us. We haven't played a ton of X-Wing. We've played some. Paul owns a load of it. But we're really struggling to even win missions in this. So it shows us we're not very good as X-Wing players go. It does totally change the whole game but it makes it into an incredibly rewarding game. It turns from like a one hour at a time, you play it, it's fun, you have a laugh, you put it away, into something that's dozens of hours, and your decisions have repercussions, and the decisions are important in how you level up, and 
the mission deck that's in the game as you do missions it changes and and if you're successful you move onwards and then suddenly it's the final missions in arcs because you go through different arcs as you play the final missions actually count as to who wins the imperial or the rebels it's an amazing amazing expansion one of the best expansions i've ever played and i just can't say enough good things and it's free and it's i can't believe uh, paul paul cut in somewhere I think you've said it all. I mean, it's it's a labour of love. I can't imagine the hours that went into making this, but they've done an incredible job. And I just want to say a personal thank you to them. Here's our, the artillery cluster. It's not only great on its own, but it's got everyone playing next wing again. As you said, I bought into this game quite heavily. I had my miniatures sitting there. It was slightly difficult to get people to play it, but now we're all excited. We're all and I think we're enjoying regular X-Wing more as a result of artillery cluster. It's brilliant. Um, and Fantasy Flight need to get involved in this. They need to give some money to the people who've produced this and then put it out as an official release. 100% agreement. I hate you both. <laughs> I, I absolutely hate you both. I was bought the X-Wing miniatures by Ronan's brother about three years ago, I think it was. Yeah, I, I'm really excited when I got them. I even bought some additions to, to it and I never played it. I just never got it played. Then I played it once, uh, quite enjoyed it. And then recently, at Paul's house, where we had a game where I whinged and bitched and then realised I was actually really enjoying myself and stopped whinging and bitching. That's every game. That's every game, true. <laughs> um, yeah, I really want to play some more X-Wing miniatures. Really, really enjoyed the game we played at Paul's house. And this just sounds perfect. It sounds like it makes the game perfect for me and I'd love to give it a go. So I hate you all. Your little click playing it. I watch from afar. Usually put a fence around yourself so I can't dribble on the on the miniatures. The best thing is that I actually nicked a bunch of Sean's models so that we had enough at the beginning to play it. My own <laughs> miniatures being played within a game I really want to play. At least your models are having fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah there is an investment in that you need quite a lot of miniatures to play the game we were lucky enough to have Sean's and Paul's and Lloyd and those guys have spent some money on the game so we were able to play it so if you're thinking oh this sounds great I'll buy X-Wing to play this that's not going to be possible you do need to have a, a probably I would say sensibly two or three people invested in the models or if you've got lots of money to burn buy them all yourself but you'll be buying multiple copies of the same ship yeah that's a very good point that's uh, something that's sort of easy to overlook if lots of people own it I'm just going to say the website again so that you can go see it if you've got any interest it's dockingbay416.com I can only add my thanks to Paul and just of all these fans I've bought this year a free one is the best that says I think a lot okay so that's our best expansions of 2015 <laughs> Okay, I'm I'm frightened. I'm frightened because I know what's coming up first. This is our top three disappointments of the year. And Ronan's going to lead us in with a little rant. Well, Sean, there's a reason we don't call this worst games of the year. Because it's easy to find bad games. There's plenty published. Go to your local Toys R Us and you'll find a million bad games. The reason we call this disappointments is because these games are games that we hoped would be good, however, have let us down somehow. Usually. There is now and then the odd gem which is so bad 
that despite low expectations, it forces its way onto this list. And if anyone listened to episode 45, you'll know why I've put at number three the game Harbour. It's so bad it breaks conventions. It's just turgid, pointless, chaotic and boring. If anyone wants to know more about Harbour, just go back to episode 45. I can't even work myself up into a rant about how boring, awful, unpredictable, useless, terrible Harbour was as a gaming experience. Toned that down by a, a scale of about a hundred. There, it, it must be just after Christmas. I'm feeling in a good mood. Oh, Sean, it's just it's just rubbish. The waste of time. It was very, Complete very disappointing, Ron. I, I don't think I hated it as much as you, but I don't think anybody hates anything ever as much as you hate this game. Well, I'm going to take a good run at it. Oh yeah, yeah fair play. To you. Fair <laughs> play. To you. This, this will be interesting. But <laughs> yeah, it's it's not great. And Ronan didn't even go on to the hues. <laughs> One of his favourites. Jackman and Grant. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's a poor game. It just doesn't seem to work on, on any level, really. And a massive disappointment. And, yeah, I actually paid the money to buy it. So, double, <laughs> doubly disappointing. And I actually gave Poria the game to trade for me. He never gave me my money. <laughs> so, oh. this game has just taken and taken and given nothing. Kicked you out, you're down at every step. <laughs> you got owned by Harbour. I did, I did completely. Paul, you must have something interesting oh, to say about I this mean, game. I mean, you've said it all before, as you said in the previous episode, but I mean, it's just horrible. I, mean, I think the most impressive thing about it is it's, it's endless. I've no <laughs> idea how they playtested it, because you can't end a game. The only thing I think is maybe there's one playtest game, and it's still happening. And they've had to release it in order to raise money to compensate the families of the playtesters. It's incredible. I don't understand how this got produced. How, after you know, half a play, after the first five minutes, they didn't just think, oh, are we missing some of the rules? You know, is there, is there bits of this? Is there more in the box that we've forgotten to take out? It's, it's, not, it's nothing. It's not a game. It's bizarre. Maybe it's that Cards Against Humanity thing where there's a card hidden in the lid. It's an elaborate joke. With the key rule. The one rule that unlocks it all. The one rule to rule all the <laughs> harbour. Yeah. I'm going to throw something your your way. I'll throw the game your way. If you oh, make don't, play don't give me another copy. Um, <laughs> people rate this quite highly on Board Game Geek. It's, it's no, not, yeah, yeah. some people do, but it hasn't got a high rating. It's got a six odd though, hasn't it? Which isn't bad. That's not a bad game. I don't know. I mean, you're always sort of slightly nervous that you've you've really misunderstood something. But we read the rules and we tried it more than once. And it's, you know, you alluded to in the previous episode, it's that thing of it's constantly changing. You can't plan because the goals of the game at the point you're taking your turn will have completely changed by the time it gets round to you. And there's nothing, nothing you can do about say, it. You say you tried it more than once. Did you house roll, roll a finish into the game? Oh, yes. well, the, the, the finish was the same both times, which we got about half an hour in and That's just true. abandoned it. And in terms of the rating, Sean, I can only say the Da Vinci Code sold millions. <laughs> <laughs> do we need to go there? Harbour, the Da Vinci Code of gaming. Move on. Okay, moving swiftly on. My number three choice for 
top disappointment is the Temple of Elemental Evil. This is the latest in what what to myself and Marion call the Castle Ravenloft series of games. I don't. I call it the Dungeons and Dragons adventure game system. Do you? Do you? I've never, <laughs> no. Funnily, I've never heard you mention that before. <laughs> and I think I speak for Ronan in that we were both very excited when we found out that they were going to release another in the series because it's something that we played quite a lot. Some of the missions in some of the games weren't the the best, but very, very enjoyable system of gaming. And yeah, what what wasn't to like? Apparently Temple of Elemental Evil, what's not to like? They tampered with the system. They introduced a new way of playing where there's just multiple traps everywhere you go every room is full of traps and it just completely in my opinion killed the game dead you just couldn't do anything because you were always stepping on a trap or you had to disarm anything if you wanted to do something properly you had to disarm about three or four traps in each room it just the game just didn't get going for that one design choice and i just felt that it completely ruined the whole reason for the game was they were supposed to be low maintenance just get into the game easy dungeon crawler play get out rinse and repeat and then this just made it laborious and boring i think my advice is stop buying dungeon crawlers no paul do you need a hug again (laughs) you're talking to the wrong man paul Just right. I mean, I'm a bit biased. You know, other than Hero Quest, when I was 12, I can't really think of a dungeon crawl I've enjoyed since. I like Space Hulk. It's not really the kind of same thing. Actually, claustrophobia. Does that count? That's pretty good. Play that instead, Sean. We've played that. Don't don't worry about it. That's enough. actually Just play one dungeon crawler I don't enjoy. So well done, Paul. <laughs> well, there's no helping you then. Just, no, you know. <laughs> no, there isn't. Keep going. Keep buying this crap. <laughs> In terms of Temple of Elemental Evil. We've still got our top three disappointments left, and we've also got our top five games of the year, and I will be talking about it later. Ooh. Okay, so up next is my uh, my third choice for uh, top three disappointments of the year. Mine's Watson and Holmes by Jesus Torres Castro, uh, published by Ludanova. On paper, I should have loved this. I like Deduction. I really like Sherlock Holmes. I haven't played Consulting Detective, but I really enjoyed Gumshoe, which is a kind of like follow-up, which I think is really hard to get hold of at the moment. Uh, thanks, Lloyd, for lending me his copy. But this, unfortunately, really fell flat for me. There just wasn't much deduction in it. Like Ronan saying earlier with the previous game, you just had to go to all of the locations, read what was said, move on to the next one. Maybe if you went to them by chance in the right order, you could cut down one or two, but but not much. You weren't really working anything out. And then to sort of cap it all off, the end mechanism of the game, how you win, is you kind of declare you know the answer, you check yourself, and then sort of an honesty system you go oh yeah yeah I won or mm, oh no I didn't keep going and it's just really unsatisfying there's sort of your view of how much detail you need to get your answers correct may be completely different to a person you're playing with so if they they in their own mind they've won the game with with what you think is you know not nearly enough detail what do you do about it obviously you just go okay fair enough because you're not you know there to, you know, there to have a good time not a fight but it's not tight it's not a good system for ending a game I don't think there's enough to this although having said that lots of people I know enjoy it so maybe it's just me and, and me needing a hug again as you guys keep saying well you do need a hug but Sean and I both sniffed at it in Essen as we said before we had a play test of it neither of us took the plunge I think I kind of expected Sean to when we got back to England and he hasn't so I'm kind of interested to hear from him why he didn't go for it in terms of my thoughts 
And maybe the thought I had while I was playing it was, do you feel like it needed a polish, another six months of playtesting, a big publisher to take it on? Is there the heart of a good game there that hasn't been done justice? I mean, the the system as it is for moving around against locations is fine. There's nothing wrong with it. It works. The only thing that I could say in its defence is that we played one of the earlier scenarios. I think it was sort of four of ten. And as I said, my, my main criticism is that I didn't feel like I was deducing anything. I was just reading stuff and going, oh yeah, okay, well now I'll go over here. And then writing all of that stuff down because that's how you prove you've done anything. You write it all down. So you're sort of copying out great chunks of text um, which is not the most fun activity. It might be that later in the game, when it gets harder, you're actually making genuine deductions. But it seems like 40% into the game, you should have got to that point. Because before that, it's 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 work. It's not fun. You know, it's like writing lines. It's, it's <laughs> did you Sherlock Holmes the detention? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it sounds like the opposite of Witness, which Sean and I talked about before. In that about. Three five minute games into that, you're expected to make huge jumps of logic and do real deduction on flawed information. Here, you're getting perfect information and not making any leaps of deduction. Yeah, sure. Any thoughts on Watson Holmes? We did have that little run through, Ronan, and it didn't excite me for for this reason is that some of what Paul said there, I didn't see the where the deduction came in. Maybe that's because having been spoiled with Sherlock Holmes consulting detective. That's about the eighth mention. I know, I know. (laughs) I wonder if it's coming up later. Yeah, so I had been playing that. This didn't seem like there was any real depth to it. There was also the the gamer elements to it, where you can block people off and stop people getting to certain areas and that kind of thing. I wasn't sure how that would tie in with the actual deduction side of the game. And I think, I get what you're, you're saying as well, Ronan, it didn't feel finished. It didn't feel like there was an actual finished article there. Did they want it to be a gamer's game or did they want it to be a deduction game? I didn't feel like they knew which way they were going. So that's why I stayed away from it. Okay, so Watson and Holmes. <laughs> Paul's definitely not happy with it and we haven't taken the plunge. The next game has taken quite the kicking critically and it was one we were really looking forward to it. How could it not be great? Hingist. It could not have a better pedigree being a two-player Uwe Rosenberg game coming from Lookout Games, following on from Patchwork and all the other great games that he has put out. Everyone that I knew was excited about Hingist and it turned out to be bland, brainless and pretty much terrible. I remember in our treasure hunt that Sean and I, we'd watched a German language video and tried to sort of work out the rules from there. And we were really puzzled why there was such scant information. And we both had faith that what we could put together, what we had learned, wasn't everything. There's going to be some Rosenberg magic sprinkled over this bare recipe of a game that we'd, we'd been able to sort of establish from what we'd heard. It turns out there wasn't. It was dull. It crushed my dream slowly because I played it with such hope. I played one game and went, oh, well, that didn't go great. Maybe we'll just play it again. I played it again. Oh, slowly, I'm just getting deflated. It's deflation the card game. Over Christmas, I watched a film I haven't seen in a long time and it was Up, the Pixar film. And there's that moment when the old man's face get kicked out of the house and suddenly the, all the balloons come out and the house floats off and there's this lovely music and it goes off in the sky and it's really uplifting and empowering I feel like Hengist boxed the opposite of that scene 
and released it to the public. And the feeling of euphoria you get from Up is directly the opposite of the feeling of deflation you get from realising how bad Hengist is. So you didn't like it then? That was me being polite. Uh, this is, this game's achieved something in that I think it's it's the only game that I've that's come out recently that that has had universally poor reviews. Normally there'll be some podcast somewhere, somebody who's for whatever reason absolutely in love with it, but I've not heard anybody have a good word to say about this. I'm kind of my worry is this a sign that Rosenberg is now phoning in his, his game designs in the same way that kind of Knizia seems to have been doing for the last few years? I guess it's just a sign that at the end of the day it's, it's difficult to like make a living pumping out board games, you know? Well, there's rumours that this is an older design that, that they sort of dredged up. I, I like to think to myself that it was the design that inspired Agricola and that he made it, looked at it and went, I'm never going to do anything <laughs> that poor again. So he had to strive for excellence. It's like if you murder your father when you're 12, you try and make up for it for the rest of your life. I think it's to be expected, though. I mean, like, if you look at kind of musicians, they tend to, most tend to make one or two good albums, start repeating themselves and sort of fade off into obscurity. Actually, most board game designers have, you know, a good few original ideas, especially, you know, Rosenberg's had a, a number of good games. There's got to be a point in which he sort of runs out of good ideas. Maybe it's this very, is it. Very poignant moment. Well, mate, you got you talking about up got me all emotional. Day <laughs> <laughs> David Bowie died, man. It's an emotional day. It is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for my my take on things, going back again to that preview of Essen that we did, and I actually asked the question. I said, "There doesn't seem to be anything more to it, Ronan." And then, and then you said, no, no, it's, don't worry, don't worry, it's Rosenberg, there's going to be something. And it just never, it never materialised. And, yeah, massive disappointment. Lack of choice, lack of interest. Game just fell completely lack flat. Lack of game. Lack of game. Uh, yeah, completely flat and completely, it was all very close to being in my, in my biggest disappointments, definitely. We're only on the number twos and we're all dying already. (laughs) (laughs) And there's not a lot of hope coming up. Maybe three was too many. Sean, come on, fire us through this one. I mean, it's okay because this one's not a game. (laughs) This is a game I mentioned in my... This is a product that I mentioned... A game-shaped product. uh, ...in my little solo roving reporter bit that I did in Essen. I said that I was quite excited about a game I'd spotted in in the build up to Essen and I've seen it in the flesh and it's called The Producer by Apocalypse Inc. Now this game, good looking things you'll you'll see see in any Essen fair. It looked absolutely beautiful. So much love and craft being been put into it where is it it's a a worker placement game where you are recreating the golden age of hollywood and you're making movies with real stars of the time real films of the time and you've just got to build up your movie empire where did it fall flat (laughs) i think ron's already said it there's no game there there's enjoyable elements and ron will probably argue but there was parts of the game that i thought I, re- I actually really enjoyed the actual putting together of the star list for the movie. I really liked that. But the crux of the game where you're playing cards to do things, they, it's just not been thought out. It's just not... They don't work. They don't balance. There's cards that interact with maybe one other card in a 150-card deck. Like you might never, ever see the card that that card interacts with or that that actor interacts with. It just doesn't come together in any way, shape or form. 
I said at the time when we, we played this a couple of times, I said to Ronan that this is the game. If I ever have a lot of time on my hands, I'd love to sit and try and fix this because I think deep down under the surface, I think there is something quite special there. It's curious to see this on any list of games. <laughs> You're it's, banging that drum for all you're worth. It's a collection of components in a box. It does have what is deemed a rule book by name only. The whole thing contains seven or eight different hearth mechanisms, which they've managed against the law of averages to make entirely unlinked. They have a board which has spaces which have no use. There's only about seven on there, and two or three of them have no use in the game. <laughs> they have cards which refer to game states which do not exist in the game. It's, it's, <laughs> I'm going to go back to my analogies. I'm on an analogy kick. It's like a concept album. Here are some ideas. You decide what experience to have with this box of components. We refuse to supply a game. Wow. Um, I'm, I'm quite, quite sad that I misplayed it. I think it's, it sounds like a shame. Again... Playing might be a stretch of term, but okay. I didn't hate. Our, I didn't hate our experience with the producer. I didn't hate it. I actually there was a lot that I enjoyed about the game. About no, the cards are fantastic. That's it. Putting together the movie. I know the scoring isn't great, but I, I saw the point of the scoring. It just doesn't work. But there there was parts of it that I actually did enjoy, and I'd I'd love somebody to get hold of this and fix it because I think there is something there. My my head's shaking. Just let Paul talk. He's just upsetting me. I mean, it just sounds like a shame. I think I think this. I'm going to bang on about theme a bit later, or in fact, in a moment. Um, but this sounds like a really good theme. Like a kind of, you know, who doesn't like the movies? This should this should have been good. I, I saw the box when you guys got back from Essen. It looked looked polished. It had a had a smart cover. Sounds like they've you know they've they've really made a mess of it. Um, is that is that Ronan's law then? Just because you've written rule book on it doesn't make it a rule book. That's correct. That is entirely correct. And what you said there absolutely hit the nail on the head for me. It was a shame because there are great cards. There's a lot of effort gone in. It looks great. I just I don't understand what happened. Maybe we never will. <laughs> Shall we move on to, I think, what is going to be possibly our only argument? Oh, fight, 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 fight. <sighs> yeah, yeah, I think, I, think I, might, I might be on the... Uh... On the on the more numerous side here, so my my number two choice for most disappointing game of the year was uh, was Champions of Midgard uh, by Grey Fox Games. This is a game that had a lot of hype, and it's got a lot of people who appear to have really enjoyed it. But it's just dull. It's a very standard Euro. There's not much, if anything, that's new. The only new thing in it is the sort of dice mechanism um, which I'm sure has been in other games but maybe just not ones I've played thankfully um, it's, it's got this thing I heard Jeff Engelstein describe it once as output randomness rather than input randomness and in short basically means that if you get a load of random stuff but then can then decide what you do with it that is fun that's a challenge if you decide what you do with a load of stuff and then roll some dice and random things happen that is not fun and I completely agree. There's just nothing to it. it. You know, it's an excellent example of a really poor theme. Like, hey, you're Norse, that's cool. Except it's, you don't ever feel like you're doing anything remotely thematic. And even if you did, the theme is appealing to a narrow section of society. You know, try getting your mum or your mate from work into board gaming by telling them you're going to pretend to be Norwegians killing monsters. I don't think that this you're is... You're misjudging the... our mothers. Yeah. 
I don't think that this is the kind of, you know, is a helpful theme. This is real, you know, seems to be a real big push for like, oh, what's the great new theme? Is it pirates? Is it Vikings? Is it zombies? Like, there is more stuff going on in the world than pirates, Vikings and zombies. I've just, I've just had enough of it. There's, there's nothing to this. You still need that hug, Paul. <laughs> okay, you're dragging us away from that. It is uninventive. The dice rolls are supposed to be the unique selling point. Unfortunately for me, there was too much mitigation of the dice rolls. And it was too easy to not really care what you roll because you knew you were going to win. Oh, I lose a dice, never mind. I'll roll again. I'll use this re-roll thing. I'm, I'm going to win anyway. So it was in no way exciting or thrilling. There were too few ways to score points. The components were poor. The cards felt cheap. The whole thing just felt completely... Ugh. you know like, like, almost like a board game design project from from youngsters or something like that. meh Champions of Midgard it's okay I don't hate it as much as Paul I, it's you just I, I hate it more because it's not terrible it's not harbour it's just boring and offensively bland I just think it actually I think I've heard a lot of people say that the 2015 was an excellent year for games I think it's fine I think all you know there's always good games coming out of the year but I think it's a bit of an indictment of this year of gaming that that this has got as much attention as it did. We didn't really talk about the year in general. I guess maybe we will later. I I don't think it's been a standout year. I think it's been lots of very good games. But I don't think it's been a standout year. But anyway, Sean? Right. I just wonder what you guys were actually expecting out of this game. I mean, I just thought that it was going to be a fairly fun worker placement romp and I I got exactly what I thought I didn't think it was going to be a water deep beater or a or a stone age but beater. That, that is what it was hyped as though, yeah maybe famous. maybe but I couldn't I mean I don't think you're going to get much better than water deep water deep does everything it needs to do to be on the a lighter end of the spectrum worker placement game with euro elements with a little bit of theme thrown on top you're not going to do, do better than lords of Waterdeep for that so for this I, I never expected it to be better than Waterdeep. what i did expect it to be was just a simple fun easy to get into in a game unlike you guys i'm, I'm going to tend to i'm going to go slightly more with ronan on on the dice rolling i think they could be mitigated a little bit too easy for my liking and maybe a ramping back of some of the mitigation but I enjoyed the dice rolling aspect of it I like the fact that it wasn't set in stone that you were going to kill that monster as you ca- as you did in Lords of Waterdeep when you go on a mission you go up and yeah okay I, I know I'm going to complete that mission I've got here's the here's the stuff it's done I like I like that slight element of random. But, but Sean, the missions were so unvaried. They were just the yeah, same thing. Yeah, they, they were, but they weren't enough for me to dislike the game because of it. I think the, there was three, always three different types of monsters. Yeah, you always had to fight a troll on if you wanted to get on one part of the board. You always had to fight a troll of varying standards. But I like the, the slight set collection aspect to it. No, that just felt stupid and gamey. I quite enjoyed it. It just gave me little tiny things to think about that none of them were taxing. None of them were particularly innovative or... But they just... I thought it came together to be a fun romp rather than well, actually... I didn't, but how was it romp? Because there was no fun because you could see everything that was going on. But what I say is I didn't hate one play of it, but I definitely felt I'd seen everything in one play and I felt like my fourth play would have made it rated a 
two. I, I agree. I, I'm not saying that this game isn't going to fade dramatically in time. I don't think there's enough to it for me to get like 20, 30 plays out of it. Absolutely not. Like I've I played Waterdeep to death. I even got bored of Waterdeep for a, for a stage. <gasps> ah, shock, horror. But this one will not have the longevity of Waterdeep. Absolutely not. Not at all. But for a year or so maybe five to eight plays i'm going to enjoy it and i'm glad i've got it and then i'll think about trading it but for for now it's perfectly decent and although it's nowhere near the my top five of the year and probably not in my top 10 or top 15 of the year i'm, I'm glad to have own, to own it and i'm glad keep, to play keep it. going up in increments of five <laughs> <No>. <laughs> well we started at five so i might as so, well keep going you know it's it's you know us maybe sort of slight hyperbole from me there's nothing horrible about it apart from its you know its mundanity mundanity is that a word probably not when would you play like you mentioned Lords of Waterdeep about 27 times I think when would you play this not Lords of Waterdeep that's what I don't get is if this does the same thing as something that's already out there but not as well I I have a similar question when would you play this and not play the washing up (laughs) Quite often, I'm very lazy. <laughs> um, the what the question this year? I probably would have played this more uh, before Waterdeep, just because because I want to give Waterdeep a rest. I do. It's colder than you. Yeah, it is. I... It is colder than you. It's absolutely colder than you. It's like a squad player, you know. You're, you're... Your star strikers needs he's got a, a dodgy <laughs> hamstring, you know. Yeah, I only said Eastley, but they're non-league, aren't they? Yeah. Anyway, uh, we need to move on from Champions of Midgard. It's so bland. I can't believe we spent so much time on it. <laughs> but but yeah, mm. moving on to my number one most disappointing game of 2015. Sean mentioned it earlier. It is Dungeons and Dragons Adventure Game System Temple of Elemental Evil. The game is an exercise in frustration. Sean said about the traps, he said they were awful, they're worse than that. They are a bunch of random crap blocking your way in every single direction. It means you have to play with the thief character to have any chance of disarming the traps to get out of a room. It means it stops you from getting out of a room so you can't use the space on the board like you used to be able to do to manipulate the monsters that have come out. Even when the thief tries to disarm them, sometimes they can go up in their face. They're just a way of whittling you down... It means you have to play with a certain party size or composition. In this one, the events and monsters sort of nerf certain heroes. So you feel if you're not playing with all or most of the heroes, you can't deal with certain situations because they're designed to take someone out of the game. And you're like, oh, well, I don't have the fighter that can deal with that. I don't have the cloak that can deal with that. Events were always annoying in these games. In this one in particular, they feel completely pulled out of the box of all the ones we discarded before. They all just seem to be either irritating because they break up your party and ruin any hope of tactical play that you had and make it complete random rubbish, swapping your position in the board or various other effects like that. Or minus a point, minus two health points, minus a point, everyone minus two health points. And they just act as a timer that just whittles you down. And they're not clever, they're not avoidable, they just happen and your points are going to slowly drain away because of them. The gameplay is repetitive, 
It was sold on the campaign system, but that was terribly, terribly dull and terribly random who got what treasure and therefore could get any better. And if you got behind the curve on that, well then you'd probably be hiding somewhere and not getting any more treasure and just getting whittled away by these terrible events. The figures all look the same. They're painful to the eye. The coloration is awful. They're just like a bunch of blobs. It's really hard to discern which is which. There is nothing at all enjoyable in the box of Temple of Elemental Evil. It was how to take a decent game system and absolutely ruin it. After these years of waiting, I'm just terribly disappointed in it. Just awful, awful game. Yeah, just to reiterate, I completely agree with you. I think I I applaud their attempt to try something different because they could have just released a, another sort of standalone expansion to this series and they, they haven't. They tried to do something different. They did try to put in the a different way of playing it and, as Rona said, the campaign element, but... Was it was it just thrown together? Because it doesn't feel like they've actually put any effort into doing that. They've thought about it, fair play to you, but you've then got to actually come up with the goods, and they just doesn't feel like they did. Yeah, I mean, I don't now over to our dungeon crawler. Expert. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, I think I've said it all before. Play something else. There's there's hundreds of these games. One of them's good, I'm sure. There's one with Star Wars men in it. Maybe that's all right. <laughs> That's what they should brand it. The Dungeon Caller with Star Wars Men. As we mentioned earlier, this isn't just about bad games. And this is not a bad game by any stretch. But as anybody, again, who listens to the show knows, I'm a big, big Ryan Lowcat fanboy. And this year he released a game called Above and Below. It's by his company, Red Raven Games. Very excited about it because it introduced a storytelling aspect to his usual sort of set collection, Euro-y feel, feel to his games, which are always beautifully crafted with his own artwork. What could, what could go wrong? It was builders like the old fighting fantasy books melded together with a Euro game. Fantastic. Two of my favourite things in the world. It's not a bad game. It's just not enough of a game. The storytelling seemed a little bit crowbarred in. It just, it just didn't seem that it mattered about the storyline. You ended up with a choice that gave you a chance to get a, a, a good or explore a part of the underworld. That's, that's all it did. The storytelling actually didn't matter. The game itself just felt like it was for a much younger audience. It didn't have the meat that something like the ancient world had. So for that reason, it, it was just a big disappointment to me. Still a big Ryan Lowcat fanboy, but this one just didn't hit. That's not surprising to me, really. I'm always a bit wary of Kickstarters. I've enjoyed some of Ryan Lowcat's games in the past, as you have. As you said, this one did sound like an interesting mix of mechanics, but it sat, you know, what I'm hearing from yourself and other reviewers is that it's sort of a mediocre Euro game and a mediocre storytelling game starts together rather than really the best of both those things brought together but you know maybe an idea for the future someone else can have a go at it and and sort of realize it better we should stop reviewing games get you to listen to other reviews and then give us your thoughts from those reviews because you've said exactly what i think about the game and i've played it (laughs) (laughs) i didn't hate it it's got those light euro mechanisms uh the only problem with well my problem with that is that you didn't feel like you're achieving much you collect different resources to score points and most of the way during the game i had maybe 
one each of four different resources and that's what I'd done with an hour of my time collect four things doesn't feel like I'd done a lot the story bit was okay it was a bit obvious as always with stories it's a little bit random the obvious bit was that you have to manage your reputation it's there was it was always oh I do that but then if it wasn't like that it wasn't obvious you'd feel like the game was playing tricks on you in the end we just went exploring for a laugh Sean and I we kind of gave up playing and trying to win um, we just thought well let's see how many of these stories we can see and we're not very good we can't always do the best option so we're really limited in what we can choose because we haven't got the best sort of things it was light it was pleasant i think if it wasn't for the great presentation or different presentation at least but i think great presentation it would be entirely forgettable the fact that it's presented well and slightly different to other games means it's stuck in my memory but the whole thing was just okay it was to be honest, something I'd aim at, at kids, maybe 8 to 10 or something like that. There wasn't too much more than that to it. Maybe you kind of hit on it, though, with what you're saying. You know, you, you would just go and adventuring for fun. Now, like, maybe that's a problem. Like, in a story game, most of the time, that's what you do. You do stuff for fun. That's kind of how the games work. You've got to go into it looking for stuff. But if you add that on to a Euro, then, you know, it feels like you should be trying to win it. So maybe those two things just, just aren't ever really going to work together. I don't know. The problem you got there is that you misheard me. Right. I didn't say we went adventuring for fun. I said we went adventuring to just read as many of those stories as we could. Fair enough. <laughs> Paul, what's your choice for number one disappointment? So finishing off, and then we can get back onto a more positive note before uh, before we all sort of fall asleep. I'm just about to get on for two in the morning here. My number one choice for most disappointing game of the year is the Game of Thrones LCG second edition reboot from Eric Lang and Nate French, published by Fantasy Flight. Now, I don't have a problem with the game, which is probably good because the first edition was. I haven't actually played the game and that's the problem. My issue is how this was released, how it's been handled, what was in the box. So to give you a brief explanation, the starter set, rather than coming with three or four full decks, house decks that you can play the game properly with using the full set of rules, maybe even do a bit of early deck building, they decided to give you a bit of all eight house decks in the game and then some sort of cobbled together rules about how well if you ignore some of the rules you can play with two of these stuck together but even then you can't really do any deck building what was in the box did not allow you to play the game it didn't allow you to do the fun bits of the game the deck building the having your house you know making a thematic deck and that might have been just about okay but then they've been so slow to release any expansions for this that I think I was having a chat to you about this the other day, Ren, and we reckon it's you know it's going to be best part of a year before you get and 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 about you know over a hundred pounds until you get your your deck to the point where it's playable, where you're having fun with it. I really, for the life of me, don't understand why they didn't release two separate star editions with four full decks in each box. You know, I'd have bought them both. I'd have bought them both, and I'd have felt much happier about it than feeling forced to buy two copies of the exact same game i know that in reality is no different but it does make a big difference it means that if you don't want to buy both you can buy one you can feel like you're getting a full product not sort of half a product and then as i say going on from that just the 
seeming lack of support I find really bizarre you know this is a hot intellectual property and they seem to have sort of slow released it and you know I'm sure they know what they're doing but but it's not clear to me yeah it seems a bit a little bit unscrupulous if that's how it's it's gone for me the Game of Thrones the first edition of the card game I actually really liked it I think it was, I thought it was a great game it just didn't feel like it worked for me in it as a two-player game so I got rid of it I think I actually gave my my second time of buying it to Ronan to make up his decks but yeah I didn't see why they needed to really go go and make another version anyway good use they're going to by the way <laughs> when we get to that. but um, yeah so I didn't really see the point in a second edition but if you're saying that they've been quite sort of mercenary in the way that they're releasing these things um, that's that doesn't seem very good I don't know that it's sort of definitely mercenary. I just think they've made a bad decision. They've decided that it's attractive to have all of the houses, so you're not going to buy the game and go, yeah. oh, I really like the Tyrells, aren't you know, why aren't they? I, I think it's mercenary. I think it's the only thing, honestly, I do I think it's the only thing that makes sense. Uh, just, I mean, I'm absolutely with Paul on this, okay? Eight half decks is not what I want from a box. That's then going to take me. If, if you think that... There's eight factions from release. You get 20 different cards in a chapter pack. There's three copies of 20 different cards. That's two and a half cards per faction per month. Okay? That's going to take me a year just to make a deck, a small deck. It's going to take me 18 months to make a full 60-card deck. And then it's another year after that before I can really start doing proper deck building. On top of that, they're going to, they are already releasing deluxe expansions, the first ones for the Starks because the Starks are, are the stars of, of the whole IP and that's the one people are going to buy. And it's, it clearly, to me, is all about generating money. And it's just horrible. And, and on top of that, the game's not changed enough mechanically to justify doing that. I think, I mean, what we've decided to do is buy a whole load of cheap second edition cars to fill out what first is edition, in effect first in my collection. Well, first edition of the LCG, second edition of the whole game. But yeah, first edition LCG, sorry, I get mixed up. Um, or first edition LCG cards, and then make our own decks. So Paul's taken Greyjoy, and the only thing I think of is why they had to change is because Greyjoy characters are so few far between. He's got stuff like Renowned Knight, or Person from Inn Number 2. Don't, don't, <laughs> um, don't you belittle Person from Inn Number 2. They're a key part of my strategy. <laughs> <laughs> photo bombing I've had some good yeah. times with person from in number two keyword yeah yeah I will give it some sugar here in terms of the roles there are six roles in the game in the new version you actually draw however many players there are plus one and you draw from that starting with the start player to choose your roles which I think actually makes start player more powerful which is a problem because start player generally whoever wins initiative can choose start player and being start player is generally not a good idea so then that makes it a little bit more of a choice as who you choose because they get to draft so they see what roles are coming up as opposed to them all being available we had four people lined up to get into this including Paul and myself and two others and we've all just been disgusted by it they've lost custom I don't think this is going to be a hit because of the terrible start. Now, I've heard people choosing this as their game of the year. I can only imagine they never played the first edition of the LCG. I am really kind of annoyed, actually, about the way they've gone about this. It really let me down. I was looking forward to this for a long time, and I'm really, really peed off. But just a quick thing to Sean. They made the two-player game a bit better in the first edition of the LCG. They brought in joust cards and particular cards to play in two-player, and you could definitely make effective two-player decks if you are stupid enough to spend loads of money on cards for a dead game. 
So we say it every year when we do these roundups, you can't play every game of the year. And often we're playing games that released in years past and they prove to be just as good as the new releases, sometimes better. So in this section, we're going to talk about games that are new to us, which were not published in 2015. And Sean is going to lead us off. So my choice is Navigator. It comes from Rio Grande Starry Games and it's one of the Rondel series from MacGurds. It's all about exploring this one using that Rondel on, in the game and yeah, definitely a game that I was looking forward to playing and finally got around to playing. I've always wanted to play one of the Rondel games to see what they're like and didn't disappoint. Really enjoyed it. I have also always wanted to play one of the Rondel games. I haven't done it yet. I've played Concordia by Matt Goetz, like that. And yeah, I haven't played a Rondel game and I'm, I'm intrigued. So um, I'll, I'll have to uh, get you to bring this one over next time we're, we're gaming. I've played lots of Rondel games. I'm just the best. <laughs> Sean, have you not played Hamburger? I don't think so. I, I, I've oh, got a sneaky feeling I might have played it, but I, I looked it up and I, it doesn't ring any bells. Oh, it's a rock solid Euro from what I can remember. um, I've got to go, guys, actually. Um. (laughs) Taxi for Paul. Um, I haven't played it literally since the week it came out over five years ago, so my memory's slightly hazy. What I'd love to do is play it now and compare it to the newer Euros, see how it stacks up. I'm not a fan of where Eurogaming has been going recently with the more complexity. I think this one is right where I'm happy. Navigator. Good choice, sure. So my number five choice is, a, is another one from the from Wayback Machine. Battle Line uh, by Rainer Knizia, originally released in the year 2000 by GMT Games. It's simple, uh, but deep, and the poker hands make it accessible. It's easy to teach to non-gamers. Um, I really like the start of the game, playing cards against each other, kind of things like Team Manager, Omen, God of War. And this one really is that kind of the essence of that in its most simple form. I'm actually really surprised you've never played Battle Line. It's such sort of a definitive game, been around for so long. I like it a lot. I do find the Kyle draw a tiny bit frustrating given that it's kind of quite a dry game. So it's not in my top echelon of two player games, but I can certainly see why it is in others. It's a classic. You just mentioned Omen Reign of War, and I would say I prefer that in the two player fighting over battlefield between you genre, but, but Battle Line is a really good game. For me, I've never actually played it. Uh, it's always escaped to me by, by hook or by crook. But hearing you compare it to uh, Omen Reign of War, which is a game I really enjoyed, uh, I'll probably try and give it a go. I think I compared it to Omen God of War, but cheers for uh, correcting me, guys. <laughs> it's all right. We'll just mix different things <laughs> up. And I just... <laughs> I was trying to be smart with a title, but I couldn't think of one <laughs> on the fly. Right, uh, My number five choice of New to Me 2015 is At the Gates of Luoyang. We gave this a full review in episode 48, so you can go back there. It's a Nouveau Rosenborg game. I really love the tight machine you have to create and run in your farm and your markets and selling your vegetables. Such an exciting theme. I like that there's slight abuse of your opponents tactically. You can deny them certain cards. The painful timing in the drafting of the cards because you're deciding what cards are on offer. I I really like the little push-pull. It is all very slight. It's very Euro. It's very sort of under the actual surface, but it's definitely there. It's quicker and lighter than his other Harvest titles, but I find it a real brain bender and i really enjoy it 
Well, I think I said it all in that episode where we had a good long fight about this game. I just didn't enjoy this game at all. Wrong. I found that it was broken in areas. I wrong. Think oh, so. wrong. So wrong. I know you guys both like it. <laughs> I just found that the frequent customer or the, and the long-term customers, I, I, I found them broken. I found it boring. The only interest was was that card drafting. That was the only interest of the game for me. And uh, yeah, not, not a game I enjoy or want to play again. At the gates of wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's coming up later on in this list for me. But yeah, I agree with Ren. I don't think it's broken. I think that's harsh. But yeah, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll mention it briefly when it, uh, when it gets to my point. Okay, cool. So moving on to my number four. This was a game that Ronan bought for me and the full knowledge that I would absolutely love it. And knowing me as he does, he was absolutely right. It is the Witcher Adventure game from Fantasy Flight and our own friend that we love to mess his name up in Nancy Treasure Check. Continuing a tradition there. It's a tradition of completely getting his name wrong. Fantastic. So, yeah, it's an exploration game where you're just exploring the map. The Witcher is a very famous uh, set of books, originally brought out in Poland, but uh, now worldwide recognition for these books. All the characters are there. Why do I like it? It is one of the most charming games I've ever ever played the story all makes sense everything you do is is interesting there, there are flaws definitely there's a the dwarf character completely flawed in terms of what he has to do to win the game you even know well before the end of the game who's going to win which again is a flaw but just such a charming game beautifully designed the stories are fantastic i thoroughly enjoyed my game i'm going to play this many many times and i'm playing charming lottery out there that's a count of five so far Woo-hoo! Sean, the game's taken an absolute beating on Board Game Geek. Uh, I think, from what I can gather, it's from people are expecting a bit more depth and a bit of a richer experience from the combination of Fantasy Flight Games and Mr. Trevor Check. I feel like the two together, real high expectations. It sounds like what they got was a random light race game. There are comments along the lines of this taking gaming back 20 years, about the game and scoring being too heavy... Is it a victim of expectations or is it really just talisman with a slightly different theme and not even that different? I think that's just a case of uh, Euro snobbery. I think people saw the Ignacy... Trevor Check. <laughs> FFG and Trevor Check fans. I'm not sure you're right. Well, no, no, Trevor Check. I think they expect a certain level of, of gameplay from, from him and it, it isn't there. It, it really is not there. But this, the storytelling aspect, which he's famed for, is there in abundance. And as I said, it's just a, a lovely game to play. It's turning your brain off to a certain degree. Enjoy the little twists and t- plot turns that happen to you. Roll with the punches not a lot you can do sometimes and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it it's, it's right up my street well you know me I love a good story driven brain there <laughs> yeah, we go um, I, I just I mean I don't know it doesn't sound like I think I think I think well, uh, I didn't think so I think after the episode you're going to have to pick one of the one of the many games you've chosen and just sort of really try and sell me on this because there's clearly something I'm missing uh, people thought I was the opposite of Sean gaming and clearly is actually poor but, um, but yeah, I, I'm not sure that this is the one. This really, you know, I think the kind of talisman thing, that's that's really not my thing. I think I think it's probably pretty similar to that. I'm just going to comment that with this and Rattle Battle Grab the Loot, bit of a slide. Paul? So, my number four is Empire's Age of Discovery. Glenn Drover, originally out in 2007, uh, but now out again in a shiny new deluxe edition from Eagle Griffin Games. It's heavy, multiple paths of victory. It's in your face. 
area control and, and can be directly aggressive to the other players. It's got lovely bits. It's got similarities to Dominant Species, which are probably my favourite game of all time, but it's different enough that I think you could have both in your in your collection. You could enjoy both, playing both on a regular basis. It was brilliant. For me, I think this one might be a little bit too fighty for me. I don't like things. I take things very personally. It's a bit so. fighty. It's yeah, a bit fighty. So, but other than that, it's certainly something I'd love to play. It's, it's something that has been on my radar for a long time, and I'd, I'd really like to get a game of it at some stage. I'll admit my opinion on Age of Discovery is completely warped by being terrible at it. I suck at this game. I played it a fair bit when it first came out in 2007, nine years ago now, which is a bit scary. I never loved it as much as, as my friends who, who I play with at the time, and they still talk about it. And over the years, I f- it's a game that I feel like I should love, but I don't. So I've kind of accepted that now. When it came out with the new reprint of Kickstarter, I was like, oh, that's that game. Everyone loves it, but I don't. And I've given up, and I've decided that Age of Discovery is a game to be admired from a distance while I play something else. Each to their own, I suppose. And what will you be playing, Ronan? Yeah. Maybe I'll be playing my number four choice, Walnut Grove. God, you guys are pros. (laughs) And we're good at podcasting. (laughs) is a 45-minute tight Euro game co-designed by the man behind Eclipse. It's a game in which during phases of the game you're going to farm a homestead, if you like, that you're building up around Walnut Grove area in settling of the United States of America. There's a great amount of variety with a mixture of different mechanisms, again, within that 45-minute framework. It works solo. It works up to four players. There's lots and lots of decisions per minute of playing in the game. It's really enjoyable. I've had a great time discovering Walnut Grove this year. This is another one to try for me. It's in the same sort of group as Marco Polo, stuff that I've heard a lot of good things about, a lot of it from you, and uh, I've never been in the right place to try it. I think it sounds right up my street. Yeah, it's, uh, it's another that's high up on my uh, want to play list. This was a big surprise for me. It just looks quite bland. I didn't like the theming of the game, but it actually really surprised me. It's a very, very solid game. Hardly any downtime. Lots of moments where you're just you're watching the other pe- people play and what they're going to do. Just oh, oh when they stuff. steal the building, you yeah, want to it's, oh. it's, it's one of those you're always on the edge of your seat, like ah, oh, you're oh, trying to remain calm. Please don't go there. <laughs> exactly. Please don't go there. Uh, they're, they're some of the best games and as I said there's hardly any downtime uh, with this one and uh, yeah very solid game and good choice thanks Walnut Grove fantastic little game Sean you've talked about it before but your number three game is yeah Firefly absolutely bull crap as we said before Ronan called it balls it is his absolute space balls we <laughs> come the desert ludicrous <laughs> so it is a f- Really simple pick-up-and-deliver game set in the Firefly universe. If you like Firefly, I can't see how you're not going to like this. Not a lot to it. Flawed as you like, but a lot of fun. Oh, there's a theme building on my top five here. They're all flawed. They're all flawed, but fun. <laughs> opposite, sounds great. Opposite of what Paul likes. It, it, it sounds great. What can I say? <laughs> it's, it is great but I think it is great for fans of, of the IP of Firefly I am still traumatised at the one time that I built up a crew of Inara oh that was hilarious and Kaylee and Saffron and, and another very 
friendly young lady from that place they have to defend one time who earns it anyway uh, and they all got eaten <laughs> two, two turns in a row Reavers just jump hump hump I've never recovered from it but it does create that sort of stories it's a turn off your brain and enjoy for once Sean has picked a flawed game that is actually very good <laughs> thank you <laughs> Right, moving swiftly on. Uh, my number three, that's uh, been mentioned already, is Mysterium by Alexander Nevesky and Oleg Sidorenko, or names to that effect. It's originally out in 2013, but it was republished this year uh, by Asmodee. As we said before, it's co-op, Dixit style, but with more game around it. I found it works well with gamers and non-gamers. I played with my family and they all really enjoyed it. It's got this delightful frustration. Things like, you get this from some games like Time's Up, Spyfall, Fake Artists, things like that, where... It, just sit there as the ghost willing the uh, other players to make the right decision and then sort of listen aghast as they as they talk themselves out of it and go in a different direction i think it probably works with a huge amount of people um and it, you know as we said before it's a very strong game yeah really enjoy it i love particularly love being the ghost i love it when people are able to talk about the different options without overpowering each other i think people have to be careful of that to allow people to make their own decisions you definitely have to play quickly that's the toughest part of being the ghost don't sit there for too long otherwise you just kill the game because people haven't got anything to do get the cards be intuitive throw them out there have fun don't worry too much great choice very much enjoy mysterium yeah, I said before, it's it's the one that kind of got away from me. I'm very jealous of you having played it, guys. And if it's anything like Dixit in, at all, I'm going to love it. If it's anything like any, a decent deduction game, I'm going to love it. So, yeah, looking forward to my first game of this. Okay, so my number three, I am a total Egypt Because I put this on a list last year. <laughs> <laughs> because my first plays were on the 3rd and 4th of January of this year and we recorded after that so I threw it in last year's and then having checked my plays I put it in this year's haven't forgotten it it's the Ravens of 3 Sashiri you're getting to hear about it again well it's a great game so I don't care I'm happy to promote it it's a two player game asymmetric you're playing together as a co-op one player is in a coma and the other player is trying to get them out of the coma by the playing of cards into patterns and the removal of cards all non-verbal communication within the limits of the game it's just so great I've played it it went into double figures now there's a reprint coming from Osprey Games I hope it's a big big hit because it's unique and it's fantastic and I'm kind of sorry for mentioning it again because it was on last year's list but I'm kind of not too because Ravens of Three Sashiri is a fantastic game you know, I just didn't get the theme of this at all. It just sounded crazy. I spent a year avoiding it and avoiding all your advances as usual. And <laughs> I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna give in. I'm gonna give in, and I'm I'm gonna try and get a game of this in because I can't, you can't you can't slag something off that you've never played and you've never given something a go. So I'm gonna give it a go, and I'm gonna give it a fair go. And yeah, let's get it on. You're gonna cry when we play this, but cry in a good way. Now, Paul, we have played it. And yeah, I think it was you and I that talked about it on the podcast before. Echo what you said. Brilliant game. I hadn't heard about the reprint. I'm really happy to. I'm going to pick this up the instant it hits shops again. 
coming from Osprey Games. Look out for it, everyone. Sean, what's your number two new to you game 2015, but not published this year? Right, this is or came very, very, very close to being my number one. It's Suburbia from Bezier Games, designed by Ted Alspach. It is a city building game, if you don't know, where you're just picking up tiles, very much in the style of Castles of Mad King Ludwig, which is its sort of spiritual successor. And yeah, I. I absolutely adore this game. Never is it going to be the same game twice because of the random draw of tiles. The way you build your city is always going to be different. I love the way the tiles all spark off each other. And at the end of the game, you've got something that you've built. It's yours. It's your little city. I absolutely adore this game. And yeah, it's my number two choice. My God, this is two good choices in a row. What's going on? (laughs) You're not the man I used to know love suburbia i absolutely love it it's a fantastic game the biggest flaw with it is that i haven't played it enough it is the superior to any other toll lane city game i could think of it is much much better than the castles of mad king ludwig it just blows it out the water it's fantastic with two to four players the first expansion suburbia inc which sean got me for christmas thank you sean where i played before that is a really great expansion let's not talk about a second expansion uh, the only problem is get rid of the tile PR firm because it's rubbish. But Suburbia is fantastic. Yeah, I can't really add anything. I've not, I'm not played the game itself. I can recommend the app. It's got an excellent single-player version. The only thing I have heard about this is that I've heard the hidden con- victory conditions being criticised, but it doesn't sound like they bother either of you. Well, they're not really the majority of scoring, are they? I mean, they can swing the game in one way or the other, but it's not a hard thing to fix, is it? <laughs> I think the problem is if your hidden one jives with the open ones and you can't score in double points for something similar when if my one was completely different to it I had to choose but it, I mean it's like was it take an hour to play well, you know if you get a little bit of luck of an hour long game I can definitely live with it cool sounds like I need to uh, there's another one to be played it certainly is right moving on to my number two this should be a quick one That's out the gates Loyang boo um, Rosenberg wrong um, <laughs> completely agree with what Raiden said earlier it's an Excellent two-player game, which is how I've played it most. It's a thinky Euro, done really well. Relatively short when it ends when it should. And I think it's quite a nice addition to that Harvest trilogy. It's sort of, you know, it's significantly different in feel to Agricola and and La Havre. My only uh, regret is that I missed the chance to pick up a copy, and I think they're few and far between these days. And ridiculously priced for what's in the box. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I think it's the Carbuncle on the Harvest trilogy. That's all I've got to say. On this podcast, get out. <laughs> I, I, I saved one original comment because Paul's got this. I will say it's a game that creates frustration and yet it pulls off the great trick of aiming that frustration inwardsly. Inwardsly is not a word. In- okay. Inwardly. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> now, from one very good game set in China, we're going to go to another one. My number two choice is Zhangguo. This is a watch your game game and they're making a big name for themselves and making deeper Euro games. And off the ones I've tried, which is certainly not all of them, this is so far my favourite. It's a very simple game. It's themed around the unification of China when the first emperor, him of terracotta army fame and the hidden tomb with the river of Mercury and all the rest of it, putting together the, the different regions. It's very abstracted. You're trying to create laws and writing 
but you're not really. You're really you're playing cards down. Each card can either be added to your tableau to strengthen you in one of five regions, or it can be chosen to choose one of six actions to take, all of which affect the board. You're you're looking to install governors, you're looking to build palaces, you're looking to aid the building of the Great Wall of China. All three of those things will help you in area control in different ways. In each game, there's a different selection of bonus cards, which are going to score you for having a presence in different regions for different parts of those palaces, governors, and and Great Wall of China. It is what I look for in Euro games. It scratches exactly my itch, because it's not one of those cog Euro games in which you decide your strategy before you start playing, and you spend two hours putting all the cogs into place to turn the wheel, make them all spin, and score all your points that you planned two hours ago. It is much simpler than that. The rules are simpler. It's slightly more interactive than that, and it has more depth than that. I can't just create one strategy, because what is good is going to tactically change as I go throughout the game. I really like what What's Your Game are doing with Euro games, and my eyes are on them now, and this is a Euro done right. It's Jean-Gro. Yeah, I mean, again, unfortunately, this is one I haven't played, but um, I have played the other What's Your Game games in this line and enjoyed all of them. I played the latest one, I think, Nippon, twice this week. That one is a bit more of what I think you would describe as a cog euro where you kind of have a bit of a plan going in. But um, but this one sounds really, really interesting and, and yet another game to add to the list for me. Just move in. Just come and move in with me. Don't worry about work. Don't worry about your girlfriend. We'll, we'll just live together for a little while. That'll be fine. That's, that's, that's the dream. I'm warm. <laughs> that's, that's all I ask. <laughs> You're cheating on me again. <laughs> <laughs> and many other people. I haven't played any of the, the, the Watch Your Game line. So <laughs> I've got to start somewhere. And this seems as good as anywhere. So hopefully I'll get a game in. Um, yeah, not much more to say on this one. I think it's a good entry point into their style of games because I think it is slightly simpler than the likes of Madeira, Nippon, Panamax, all the other ones. That yeah, they about. did seem quite complex, especially Panamax. I looked at that and I just thought, wow. Another game I've had for about a year and haven't opened. Sean, give us your number one. Big moment. We've talked about it many, many times in this episode already. Sherlock Holmes consulting detective. We've already done a major review on it so i'm not going to go into too much detail other than to say for a game that's so old 1981 i think it came out it's really held its luster avoid mission three which i didn't (laughs) and i just got completely thrown by the complete randomness in mission three but other than that really strong game a really good cooperative game gets you talking gets you thinking together really good group game and something you can sit down and play in a couple of armchairs you don't need a table you don't need a board fantastic game i thoroughly enjoyed it really thematic and uh, i just don't want it to end i don't want those missions to finish yeah as i said earlier i haven't played this but i have played gumshoe which is sort of sequel to it set in a kind of 50s america which is by the sounds of it equally excellent yeah as soon as you're seen our next see you we should swap as long as Lloyd's happy with me uh, with me pimping <laughs> out his copy um, i'm interested to try gumshoe yeah yeah no, yeah let's yeah. do it let's do it let's do lloyd's <laughs> copy i really enjoy sherlock holmes consultant detective but it has got its flaws not all the cases work, as Sean has said, and that's really sloppy from his story. They should have cleaned all that stuff up. They've had 30-plus years to do it. 
Some of the results of the investigations are just pure shots in the dark. There is no way of working out what, what they could possibly have been, really. It's just a case of, well, there's 10 different possibilities there. Oh, well, that's the right one, never mind. What I do love about it, it's much deeper and it's true deduction. There are multiple paths to get different answers. You don't need the answer to everything to do well in the game bit of the game. You probably want to to satisfy yourself, but to score well, you can find out different bits of information and do it quickly and, and you're good as gold. You are left to make your own decisions on how you go through the game, which is what I think Time Stories was missing, although it has different qualities which which are good bring on the expansions i will put a shout out to there is an expansion in development um it's pretty much done it's very well known now it's called the revved river valley by dave neal he was lucky enough to share it with me i really enjoyed it it is the case that rado uses on his run through so that he doesn't spoil anything in the box he uses this fan and a better than fan he is a designer but designer written expansion for sherlock holmes so it's it's that sort of a quality it's as good as anything in the box if not better so hopefully that will get published alongside other expansions this year so moving on my number one new to me but not new game of 2015 was twilight struggle little known game by ananda gupta and jason matthews published in 2004 by gmt not number one anymore <laughs> and it's not number one anymore on board game geek the horror it's you know believe the hype it's deep you can have genuinely strategic play. It's thematic. Like this is the kind of theme that is genuinely sort of evocative in the game. You really feel like you're battling for world supremacy. It's an excellent way to spend an evening. My only word of advice would be start playing it with someone who hasn't played it before. That's what I've done. And the person I'm playing it with, we're getting better at the same rate. And we're having really competitive games. Uh, it's excellent. You embarrassed me, Paul. Why is that? Played it. I've never played it. Call yourself a game podcaster. I don't. Know. I think we've talked about it before that it it was this or 1960 making the president, and I bought one or the other. Right, you know, when I didn't guess didn't know that much about games, and I chose 1960, and uh, that's the one I've stuck with. And I've just it's always been on my wish list. It's probably been in my basket a hundred times, and I've never actually pulled the trigger. So you kind of answered it there, but the one criticism you will get against a game this highly rated is. It's not that much fun out of the box. You need to learn the game to get the most out of it. You can't play with an experienced player. They'll just destroy you. How much fun is it out of the box? First play. The first time I played it, to be honest, I played it and we got one turn into it. We just, we knew we weren't going to finish the game. There were other people turning up and, you know, it was myself and Puria. We both had the game for a while and, and, uh, and never got it played. So we decided to go for it. And that probably helped, but... That was it. That one sort of one turn playthrough, and then played my first full game, and it was really fun. Um, I played it with Lloyd. It was his first time playing, just with my kind of half remembered rules explanation. And you know what? There's not all that much to it. It's one of those where you read the rules. They're quite a long rule book. There's an awful lot of flavour text in the rule book. There's not as much in it as you think. And actually, when you get right down to it, on a turn, it's pretty straightforward. Well, for me, I'm exactly the same as Ronan. I'm somewhat embarrassed to say that I've actually never played this one. It's been at the top of the BGG ratings uh, since I've been involved in board games, and it's certainly been on my to-play list. I think that rule book probably does put me off a little bit, Paul. Uh, I've actually got a copy of it, and I'll finally get to play it someday. And, yeah, I'm sure it's a wonderful game. All those people can't be wrong, but, uh, yeah, never played it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's worth giving a go. I j just take time to look at the rule book. It <laughs> isn't number two board game looks. ever. Worth giving a go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, you should definitely read the rule book. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Look, I still need my hug. <laughs> so, from one great two-player game to another, my choice of best new-to-me game is Patchwork from 2014, referenced already during this episode. Again, from Uwe Rosenberg, we just can't get away from him. This is the game that Hengist had to live up to, and it most certainly didn't. It is currently my favourite two-player only game I have ever, ever played. It is about making quilts on a 9x9 grid. It is a two-player game, as I said. There is a circle of different patches laid out around the table, and you have a dobber, and from that dobber, you can take one of the next three patches in clockwise order. When you take it, the dobber moves to where that patch was and so on you play. and it's one of those games that you make steps of realization as you play your use of time is crucial how you use the space on your board so much going on so much to think about in just a tiny little half hour beautiful not beautiful charming to borrow a phrase looking two-player game i love patchwork well thematically artistically it's just something that would never ever entice me in with but i think the fact that i think paul is a big fan of this and i know ronan is a big fan of it there's got to be something there surely i know we have our differences but we also agree quite a bit on games ronan so i'm definitely going to give this a go i'm still not completely convinced how have you never played it i don't understand i just i don't know i'll just avoid it it doesn't look like a game that i would ever want to play i just look at that game and i think nah not for me but if you're saying that is there's that much to it and and it is that charming as you said then I, i shall certainly give it a go i can see where sean's coming from on this one I've got to say, I was slow to play it first, um, which may explain why it's actually in, in the next list for me, top of 2015, without not, not really checking when it was there. Yeah. Because the theme didn't really appeal to me, but I'd heard such good things about it. I gave it again. I'm glad I have. It is a really good. It's, you know, it's light, it's tactical, not strategic, but it's tight. Everything works. It's really intuitive. As you say, You three turns in, you know what's going on, but there is room to refine your strategy to react to what the other person's doing and try and do a different thing for for what it is for a little box for a probably 30 40 minute game there's a lot in it um and uh, it's well worth checking out as i've said multiple times it's one of those uh, funny games whereby i sit down with you know proper heavy euro gamers to play it and they say well there's nothing to it it's obvious and then i absolutely melt them and they go but you did the same thing as me how did you win so let's play again and then you melt them again. And then they have to climb out of their cage and start going, oh, well, there must be something more to it. And then once you open your mind to it, and it's not the deepest game in the world, but it's not as brainless as it first appears. Uh, and you re- really, you can start finding strategies in it. And that's why I think it's the strategy as opposed to the presentation that I find the charm in, as opposed to Sean liking the presentation of the game. Yeah. And even then, the presentation's not bad. It's quite cute. Quirky. Um, there's just, yeah, there's just not Quirky. a lot to it. it. It is what it is. It's pictures of, of sort of rag patches on for a blanket. You know, there's not a lot you can do with that. But, um, but you know, it's, it's, it's bright, it's colourful, gets the job done. No, but I think, uh, just going back to your last comment there, Ryan, I think the, the presentation of a game is the hook for me. But I think the the thing that keeps me at a game is the strategy but I think there's so many games out there 
that you've just got to find some way of, of separating stuff that you're going to play and that you're not going to play. So I think with this one, it just would never make that set into that group of games that, oh, yeah, I definitely want to play that. It's one of those... Yeah, that, I mean, it it didn't for me it's a 2014 game and it's on this list because I didn't play it in 2014 because it came out at the same time as Quilt Show and it's weird these two like quilting games together and I had absolutely no interest in Rosenberg or not absolutely no interest in playing it and then actually Board Game Guru himself Paul pulled it out one day we were in a pub waiting for other people and said your fancy game I was like oh yeah you know I'll give it a go hooked what was the score in that game man <laughs> he took a beating <laughs> I, I, I think also part of the charm is that myself and Rachel, who is my usual two-player game partner, or when she's not obviously off with Paul, um, uh, are really, really close in it, and we go backwards and forwards with games. It's just a game we really enjoy together and can get out when we have half an hour and, and know that we're going to give our brain a workout and it's going to be close. And yeah, just well, not that close recently. She's been winning, but just really, I mean, the the, the best half-hour two-player game you can think of. Patchwork. So we are on to the big one. Each of us has chosen our top five games released in 2015. Now via the magic of time and space, what appears to be only seconds to you is in fact two days of recording because we had a technical hitch just at the end of the part we just did, our best new to us games. So therefore I'm 30 miles away from where I was in a completely different rig. Paul's caught a cold and Sean is just his usual beautiful self. So we're really sorry if this bit sounds different from here onwards, but... There you go. Such is life. Paul, would you like to kick us off with our slightly strange-sounding top five of 2015? I will. My fifth best game released in 2015, as alluded to, I think, at the end of the last section, is Patchwork, which I think technically is a 2014 release, so already I'm massively cheating. But and to add to that, I actually played it for the first time on the 1st of January 2016, so this is a complete cheat. But... It's excellent, what's, as we said what's, before. Well, what's happening here? There's like two rules for this list, and you've broken them both. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, well, I mean, part of it, I think, actually, is, I mean, I looked back, and I wasn't blown away. As I, as I said earlier, I think 2015 was strong, was a steady year, but there weren't a lot of stellar games. So I had kind of had a lot of games to fit in this sort of number five slot. And none of them were games I loved, whereas Patchwork is a game I loved. So I thought I'd go with that, a game that is genuinely brilliant, rather than a game that came out in 2015, or indeed that I played in 2015. Well, <laughs> so it, it qualifies on no counts. Yes. Firstly, yeah. <laughs> you're a cheating swine, and you're being judged. Secondly, it's almost okay, because it's such a damn good game, but your third and final foul is that it should clearly be higher if you're going to include it at all. <laughs> so you've upset me on three fronts, and I've said all I have to say about Patchwork, it's brilliant. Yeah, as I said in the last section, I am more than happy to give it a go, even though it's not something I would have necessarily sought out on my own. I like to think of you as a little patchwork boy, Sean. <laughs> well, this is what I am. There's a lot of patches. Yeah, there's a hell of a lot of patches. <laughs> there's some patchy <laughs> stuff anyway. Okay, my number five release in 2015 is another two-player game. This one is Seven Wonders Duel from Anton Bowser and Bruno Cathala. Now, I have spoken about Seven Wonders Duel before in our Essen episode, and I'll just recap. I had an adverse initial reaction to the game because 
although it is aesthetically similar to Seven Wonders, it does play differently in my opinion. However, with subsequent plays, the game has grown on me. I do enjoy it. It's obviously got the elements there of resource collection and building up your own tableau and the rest of it. So it has got so similarities, although a different feel. I think the biggest difference is that Seven Wonders Duel feels really very unforgiving. It's not just that military aspect where you can collect your military and invade the person's capital, instant win. That's kind of the obvious way, but there's other ways of being really mean. There's ways of draining the other person's money. So all they can do is throw a card away, get more money, then you drain them again. You can do that very effectively by just completely denying them resources. And it all comes into the spatial aspect, and it really can be brutal. The whole game can end up feeling like a wrestling match where at the end of it, you're completely knackered. You can't believe you've won or lost, but I really do enjoy it. I th- almost too nasty for me, which is really saying something, but Seven Wonders Jewel is my number five for 2015. And I agree with this. Excellent choice. It is a, a strong game, and I, I mean, I, I think you've said it all. You can really get behind the eight ball. That's probably its biggest weakness, is that although it's a short game, you can know sometime before the end that you've lost. It, it's a little bit hard to come back if you get yourself into a bad position. But having said that, I think they've done an excellent job of sort of... It plays differently, but but the same feel as Seven Wonders. And uh, yeah, I thought it captured it really nicely. I thought the, the sort of spatial card drawing uh, mechanic was felt really new to me really enjoyed it and I like the fact they threw in a couple of instant win conditions there as well so there's sort of multiple paths to victory I think you know all round this is a strong one the instant win conditions really up the pressure throughout the whole game they really kind of almost squeeze the vice to that point where you're all tense yeah and I think the, the first game that we played you I think you were attempting to do to me what you're saying with the kind of completely denying me resources and I was almost forced into in the initial stages taking the science cards because all I had available to me but it complete, completely flipped around in the mid-game, sort of slightly contradicting what I'm saying about if, you get, if you're losing, you're losing. But it flipped around in the mid-game, and it sort of towards the end, I was able to really manipulate the card draw to, to force that science victory, which is how I ended up winning. I think, you know, there's, there's a lot to this, and I think it does reward kind of repeat plays. Well, for me, I'm absolutely shocked. This game just keeps shocking me. The first shock was that I didn't pick it up in Essen and ended up buying it when, when I got back home. And the second I, shock, I, think, I think I remember a mid-episode order. Yeah, this, yeah, right? I actually literally ordered it mid-episode because I couldn't believe I hadn't bought it. And I've Did not you get the fancy it. metal doodle or not? No, I didn't. I didn't. Oh. Peasant. I know, I know. And I haven't played it. That's probably the lack of the fancy peasant. metal doodle. Is That's the... probably what it is. It's putting me off. But for me and my wife, we love Seven Wonders but it couldn't really be played well with two players. So we were always hankering for a two-player Seven Wonder game. Now we've got one and we don't play it. I just can't... I I don't understand why this game continues to elude me. I'm probably going to end up going and playing it now. Yeah, you need to get it played. I probably Pe- do. <laughs> I'm going back to Peasant. Sean, what's your number five for 2015? Well, my number five, Ronan, is a, a game that was kickstarted by Garpil Games and it's Raiders of the North Sea it's a bit of a surprise one for me I didn't expect it to be as good as it is but what it is is a simple worker placement with a difference game where you are raiding the North Seas for minerals and you're attacking monasteries etc just to get as much stuff into your hands that's just what it is it's a very simple game the worker placement with a different side of it is that you place one worker you pick up one worker, which is a slight twist on it, and I like it. The game, as I said, it's, it's not incredibly deep, 
but everything works. It's a beautiful layout. There are some strategic decisions to make. There are some tactical decisions to make. And it just it did exactly what I wanted it to do. And yeah, it's my number five choice. So I really laid into you early in the episode about uh, Champions of Midgard. This one, from a thematic point of view, at least your actual Vikings, not mystery Vikings or fighting Tart. magic monsters. Tart. But, um, but it, and it sounds interesting. It does sound like you're calling him a tart, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, Might be more apt. Yeah. Um, but this sounds interesting. I think that that worker placement and sort of displacement mechanic sounds really interesting to play with. I say interesting, but it's not very interesting. Um, I think it's the, like how to spot a Eurogamer, Paul. Oh, hold on, a slight tweak on worker placement. Yes, exactly. Oh, oh, here's a break. Hold on, you can put one down and pick one up. Yeah. Oh, Ooh. that's what I look for. I'm, I'm looking for. All, my game session is largely very, very slightly different worker placement games. <laughs> Which makes it a great yes. games collection, right? Uh, Raiders of the North Sea, yeah, I, I hadn't paid no attention to it whatsoever. But is this the game Champions of Midgard wanted to be? It's going to inevitably be compared to it. Champions of Midgard's got the higher profile. It looks like Raiders of the North Sea may be the superior game. I am also really interested, interesting in an interested way of the interest in how to take the taken and place in the worker. Sure, my only thing to you is, how many replays do you think you're going to get out of it? Is each game going to be varied? I think it is because the the crew that you get and the way that you manipulate the crew to do certain things, they're all quite different and there's plenty of them. There's various routes you can take. You don't have to stop at the... The, the sea battle places you can go straight for the hard to get stuff it, there's, there's ways of manipulating things basically and I don't think it's going to be the longest game in my collection where I'm still playing it in 10 years time but I think it's got a good few plays yeah and you're right it is the superior game to Champions of Midgard I, I do prefer this sweet we're going to move on to our number fours Paul what have you got for us my number four game of the year is Pandemic Legacy uh, by Matt Leacock and Rob Davio, published by Z-Man Games. I don't think this is going to be new to anyone. It's been hyped to heaven and back uh, this year, and uh, it's coming up later on on your lists. I think we'll talk about it then. The reason it's at number four for me, I think, is that I just haven't played it all the way through yet. I'm sure it would rise the more I played it. The only thing I can say is that uh, you're right to have it in your top five, but you're wrong to have it as your number four. He's just getting abused for all his choices. (laughs) Yeah, Sean and I will talk about Pandemic Legacy later, and the fact that it is featured in these top five lists is probably no surprise to anyone whatsoever. Another game is probably no surprise if you've listened to us over the year. It's on my list. My number four is Shakespeare. It's the Euro game that came out of Istari, all about creating and running a theatre troupe for a week, attempting to run a play, hire actors, create sets, costume your actors... It looks fantastic. It forces nice decisions in a 75-minute Euro game setting. There's nice interaction via denial of other players. Like Patchwork, I think, the interaction grows on you as you play the game more. You start off and you think, oh, there's not that much. But the more you start thinking, the more you start planning, the more you start realising from the first turn, if someone has bought a particular worker or actor, that affects what's going to be available to you. If two people go costume makers early, suddenly your plans might have to change in terms of what you're attempting to do, what bonus cards you're going to keep. It's not massive interaction, but it's definitely there in the game. It's one of those overused words it's completely smooth it all works the great components help with that the theme holds it all together and it's a really strong euro and my number four is shakespeare and again 
I completely agree. This very nearly made my list. Uh, would have done if I hadn't cheated and put patchwork on it. Yeah, I think it felt it had a nice bit of innovation. There were a lot of mechanics that felt new. Kind of that building the set design, bit of sort of tile placement, card drawing, sort of activating different workers and the balancing everything with the wages you have to pay your workers. So you were always very aware of being kind of restricted a little bit and not being able to take the best people every time. And it made, made you make some interesting choices. Um, yeah, I think this was a really strong game. And again, one that if I I played more, may have may have beaten Patchwork to actually be a, a genuine 2015 game on this list. Well, I'm going to talk about Shakespeare later. So my number four is Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> For all the reasons Ron said, I just felt that it was a collection of mechanics or mechanisms that all just bound together really well and smooth is exactly the word and yeah it hooked me from from minute one it's just such a tense game a really really tight game where you're eking out every little point here and there there are different avenues to victory for me it's a worthy top five of 2015 perfect for me it suits me down to the t because it's thematic worker placement and a euro well i mean what what more can i want wonderful paul take us into our top threes please so we're getting to the stage of the list i think where things are really getting good my number three game we've talked about multiple times already this episode it's forbidden stars by Cory Konetzka, James Niffen and Samuel Bailey, and of course published by Fantasy Flight Games. As I said before, I love it. I loved it even though my first game took seven hours with three players. I love it even though it's basically only three player unless you don't mind a hell of a lot of downtime. This is another one which I've played, as I said earlier in the episode, only once and it can only increase its position on this list and get higher as I play it more. The theme for me is perfect. It's, I really like that Warhammer 40k kind of expanded universe. The thing that surprised me about it was how strategic it was and how sort of how much of a brain burner. I was expecting a kind of fantasy flight, loads of bits of plastic, roll some dice, have a fight, have a bit of a good time. But the order placement mechanic really needs a lot of thinking about it. It's, it's, a, it's a fun brain burning activity to do. You've got to place your orders in reverse order of the way you want to resolve them, always being aware of how other people can can sort of disrupt you and, and really ruin your plans. If you are banking on doing everything in the right order, but someone comes and covers up your second order midway through the game and then won't let you reveal it, it can destroy your turn. So that's why our first game took seven hours. We were all really, really thinking hard about the order placement. And you know what? It wasn't. It didn't feel long. It didn't feel like seven hours. It it felt like I'd had a really good, really meaty game experience, and I'd enjoyed every moment of it. Yeah, I'm just going to repeat. Why are we not playing it? It's almost penciled in on next year's new to me list. Paul, drop the mic. Get here. Let's get this on the table. I'm I'm there. <laughs> yeah, as I've already said, um, umpteen times. Really want to give this a play. Slight worry about the fiddliness of it, but, but Paul's allayed some of those fears. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to my first go of this. Beautiful. Now, my number three of 2015 is Code Names. Again, another one that's been very popular in all these top five, top ten lists of 2015. It's a party game from Vladimir Vatel. It's more a social game, I'd say. I'm not sure it's big enough for a party. It's thinky. It's interactive. It can be really funny. It's one of those social games which you're not just doing something. You're having to think how other people think. 
and empathise with them and take their point of view on and kind of almost broadens your mind like a lot of the great social games it's an almost always go-to game for light affair for family to bridge a gap in a game evening and i absolutely love it it is as good as people say it is codenames fantastic my number three and i'm going to be talking about it later which obviously gives you a clue as to what i think about it i've only had a quite a small exposure to codenames thus far it hasn't clicked for me yet i i don't know why it just it, there's something that's lacking with me i'm not too fussed about ever playing it again i'm assured i'm wrong and i probably am but i just i don't know it just maybe i was tired maybe i don't know what happened but i just didn't feel it ronan what sell it to me a little bit more well you like dixit don't you i do yeah it's to me that that is actually what it's most similar to it's trying to think how people are going to link things together and simply doing it through words and it's kind of do you enjoy that language aspect of how to use words in different ways and that's what i kind of try and do is i try not to give a, a two clue ever i'm trying to look for three four or five and trying to like pull people into a certain way of thinking and it, it's just funny and making a mistake is funny sometimes unless you're in a competition and you end up in a fight <laughs> but, and really that's what it is it gets me thinking but on a sort of light and social level and it's the discussion as well i think when you have six or eight players it works best I, I don't know, mate. What can I say? Is it six or eight players that know each other like at a certain level? Like, you could, could you play no, strangers? No, it doesn't need to be. We we played it recently, actually, around Puriers with a, a friend of one of his flatmates, and she had to go out um, for work, so he kind of joined us. Never met him before, and the two of us really hit it off over the game. You know, I don't think you need to have known the people. I think that the clues are tend to be general enough that you're not really referencing sort of in jokes or, you know, shared experiences. Um, I think if it's, I think in, on your first play, if it's got one weakness, it's that the, the game starts in silence. So the first turn is the hardest and it's when the clue givers are sitting, staring at a board of 25 words, desperately trying to link some together. And I always, when I'm introducing the game, tell people that and tell people to talk amongst themselves and have a bit of a chat and socialize whilst that's happening for the first turn because after that it really picks up pace but that as a first sort of initial impression of a game that's quite a weird one to kind of sit there and look at someone struggling and obviously the more silence there is the more you look at them the more certain people will get stressed out by that and find it harder to find sean likes sitting watching people struggling (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's like a half times. Well, I think we should love it then. But that would be my one bit of advice for anyone sort of picking this up is just give that instruction. Everyone have a chat, talk amongst yourselves while people are do- just making their initial assessments of the board and then get going and have a good time. I'll give you another piece of advice. Play quickly. I don't care who wins or loses. If you're spending 10 minutes to think of a clue, I'm gone. I'm playing something else. That's true, but people are going to want to play to win, aren't they? So I think no. I think on that first turn, I think you give people a little bit of time. A first turn, yeah, but it's when people are agonising their every single clue and taking it too seriously. We can literally get it played in five minutes and play another game and play another game and play another game. Just just have fun, people. Yeah, and that's that's maybe true. Is if you get a real horrible group of words, just accept it, do the best you can, wait for the next game. Okay. I'm going to move on to my number three, which we did a review very early in the year, Ronan. It's Xeno or Xenoshift Onslaught. And we found it to be somewhat flawed genius, I think. I remember we had a lot of problems with the game, but 
the reason it's so high on my list for the year is it stuck with me. It was one of the early releases of the year. It was a Kickstarter that I wasn't too sure about, but it's still here with me now. And there's a Kickstarter ongoing at the moment that I'm morally trying to stay away from, but I've been drawn in with every stretch goal that reveals itself. I've got the early bird. (laughs) So, yeah, it's just a... it's, It's a great game that just had some component flaws, some difficulty flaws, and timing flaws. And that sounds terrible. That sounds like too many flaws. But it's it's a, a really interesting, thematic, nail-biting, atmospheric game. And it, it, it sticks with me all the time. I want to play this. I think, I mean, I don't know what to think with this selection. I'm a bit worried the two of you have gone mad. I listened to your review... And it sort of said what I was expecting, which is, oh, it's a Kickstarter game. It's a bit broken. It doesn't really work. It outstays its welcome. But I've, you've played it with the group, and the, all the people I've spoken to have played it have, you know, not been too positive. And then you go and put it as number three. I'm, I'm shocked. It sounds bad. It sounds like a bad game. Yes, it does sound like a bad game, Sean, which is why it was my number six. <laughs> it was my near miss. But it does have those flaws, Paul. And I guess you're either going to focus on the flaws or you're going to focus on the fun in it. It can go long. I think some people are saying they even prefer the app now. There were component issues, but there is a challenge there. I think the way the enemy works and the way that they swap up and work together is a very effective AI, probably better than almost any other AI I've come across, certainly in a deck builder where you're going against it. It has the legendary appeal of there's a challenge there, there's lots of fun, you don't know exactly what's going to go on, you do have to make decisions, you don't have perfect information, and yet there is a whole heap of ball going to happen in the game as well. And you kind of take it or leave it. I mean, I've done things to kind of improve my experience. There are bombers in there in Wave 3 which will negatively damage you, which means you kind of lost the game an hour and a half ago and you don't know because bombers are going to come out. So I've kicked them out of my game. I've gone Hollywood, they've been destroyed. But, but also it's the whole the sharing of cards, it's the timing, it's when to bring in reinforcements it's uh, it, it just has some kind of magic hold on me as well I've played it I'm into double figures with plays I've backstarted Dreadmire the reason I couldn't put it in my top 5 is because of the flaws the reason I'm keeping it expanding it and still playing it is because of the other side of it and, and it has got the two sides to its character Okay. so actually I think it's quite a good choice Sean fair enough one of the things I'd written down in the show notes was is the legendary system not a more polished version of the same thing but from what you just said maybe not maybe this offers stuff that that doesn't yeah I just felt that this was more tense more atmospheric than the legendary system I felt sometimes a legendary system could be quite clinical and this one just had that feeling that you were up against this horde of alien insect creatures it's definitely cleverer, I think, and, it, and you have much more options on your turn, and the AI reacts in different ways to what you've done. Okay. Uh, so it, 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 it's thinkier than Legendary, although I'll just say about Legendary, I've got a randomizer app, which is smart, so it sets up the game so you don't get kind of broken setups, and that's definitely improved my experience for that, so that's one. If you have got Legendary, it's worth looking out for. Well, with Xenoshift, I'm, I'm almost convinced. Maybe if you catch me at a weak moment, you can get me, get me into this. That's not what I'll do to you if I catch you at a weak moment. Anyway, moving on to your number two, Paul. So, now moving on, we've got to uh, the number twos. It's getting quite exciting. My number two best game of 2015 is Baseball Highlights 2045 by Mike Fitzgerald and Eagle Griffin Games. We've mentioned it before. It's really good. It was a surprise hit for me. I'm not a baseball fan, and as I said previously, I don't really understand why anybody is. 
but it's a really good game and it's the best use of deck building I've seen for a while. It's sort of a take that head-to-head play. I think probably best with two players, but works pretty well with three as well. Playing one card at a time, trying to outdo your opponent. Within that sort of pretty simple gameplay, it allows you to to make really good sort of tactical and, I think, strategic decisions. You can let your opponent get a few runners on bases if you think that your deck can handle that in the later game and then stop those people ever scoring. As I say, it's got deck building. It's really simple. Just the end of a round, you're going to buy one, maximum two cards. It's simple, but it's important to the game. It makes a big difference to how you play. And it makes you want to keep playing. You play a game, you earn some money, you buy a better player, and then you're excited to play the next game with that player. That player does you a favour, you do well, you earn more money, you buy a better player, and it sort of keeps going. It really has that drive to kind of make you want to keep playing. I know um, at least Roan has played it. I'm not sure about Sean. What did you guys think of this one? Well, I, I actually said at the top of the show, I played it the once, Paul. Oh, you're not listening, Paul. You're obviously not that's listening, Paul. Sorry, that's, that, <laughs> behind the curtain here, that's about two and a half weeks ago now. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I said it earlier that I had any slight issues with the theming of the game, which you, which you strongly disagreed. I'll give you a chance to rebut that in a minute. But do you think that you bring enough cards into your hand? Like one card every round, possibly, possibly two if you've got enough money. Uh, just It doesn't seem like there's enough to really build that deck and get that deck working for you. I know what you're saying, and so on the face of it, that doesn't sound like you're doing much. But but as I said, those those individual cards have such a big impact on how the game plays. They're you know often leaps and bounds better than the play, the the players you had to start the game, and if not, they're definitely playing a more interesting way. So so yeah, I think it does. I think it's really helped by the fact that the cards you buy go straight onto the top of your draw deck, so you're guaranteed to get that that player in the next round. Yeah, I think one of the things you said there that the gradual progression, the fact that you can shape your team and it has that I want to play one more game because it'll only take me two or three minutes and then I will get another good player who I will immediately be able to play. So I feel like I've done something. I feel like I've progressed and those good cards are going to come around every other game probably if if not even more often than that because you're just firing through that deck and it's the pacing I think that is the key to it and it's a very strong game now I know the baseball theme is going to put people off but it's been really popular over here in the UK I don't think baseball could be less popular than it is in the UK a lot of the time you feel like you're kind of taking your chances and you're affecting the game but you're not in total control and this does feel like being a sports coach. Where with time of soccer, a much longer game we talked about earlier, you do lots and lots of actions and it comes to the game and it feels like I haven't got that much control on it. Actually, I feel like I have put some input. It's now going through a slight machine and what comes out might not be exactly what I was planning for, but I definitely feel like I've got more control in a much lighter, quicker, simpler game. The give and take is very interesting. It's really, really solid. I played it a good few times. I would love to play it more, get into it and buy in all the rest of it, but my partner will not touch it because of the baseball theme. She's not interested, so it's just not worth me having. If I thought I had a regular two-player game, uh, opponent who would get into it as much as I did I think this one would probably be on my shelf it's a really good choice Paul the actual mechanics of baseball make sense in that two player back and forth card game and I think it would be difficult to stick a different theme on there and have it make so much sense I think actually it's interesting because in the UK we're kind of ignoring the theme and just going it's a good game and yet I'm seeing backlash over in America saying the theme is stupid because they like baseball games like Stratomatic Baseball and I know 19 Innings has come out bottom of the ninth whatever it is uh, 
And actually, because we're seeing it almost as an abstract, that's almost a positive when it comes to the theme, and there's just like a funny situation going on with that. Yeah, so like if you know baseball, you notice where it doesn't get it right, whereas we haven't got a clue and we just enjoy it for what it is. Yeah, I know this much about baseball. Duh, duh, <laughs> duh. Anyway, okay, moving on to my number two. My number two is a game we have covered. It is The Voyages of Marco Polo. We covered it fully in episode 55, so if you want to hear all of our thoughts, go back and have a listen. It's a Euro game, about an hour and a half, plays two to four players, works all player counts. It's What I like about it is the fact that it's a real dynamic puzzle. And each game is varied and there's a different setup and you get a different character and you're trying to work out, right, what can I do here? How can I make the powers on the board work with what I can do, with what my overall strategy is? And then making the tactical choices because where players go will affect where I can go and what actions I can take. And it's all very interesting. It's one of those games that feels impossibly tight to start with. You play one round out of five, you haven't done much and you go, oh, never going to get anywhere. And then you start gradually getting small improvements to what you can do and they snowball into by the time you get to the fifth round you're making real choices and you, you have got lots of flexibility and what you can do on the board but all set up by your decisions during the game a great plan can really come together the theme makes it work even if it doesn't make too much sense to be honest with you I wouldn't say it was a thematic game but it ties it together like we say about a lot of Euros as long as the theme makes the bits of the game make sense it works well enough for me I think it is a brilliant game it's only been beaten out by what is pretty much a unique game and Voyages Marco Polo just fantastic as Sean likes to hear me say it sits beautifully in my wheelhouse it does indeed as I said earlier this game very very close to my top five uh, I'm still not sure it shouldn't have been in there it's a fantastic game uh, such a lot going on interesting choices throughout the game uh, the route building sort of left me a little bit cold at the beginning because that's really where the hub is if you want to score well in this game but uh i finally i think i figured it out and yeah I, I, it's hard to get in this country i think there's a new reprint coming out at the moment and i'll probably be in the queue for that one yeah me too as i said at the start of the show i haven't played it i'm very jealous of you guys having done and uh it sounds like one i'd really like brilliant there you go that's the voyages of marco polo okay on to a what started off as not so controversial now is a controversial choice my number two is blood rage from cool mini or not this game is themed around vikings and doing bloody battle and the glory of battle and going to valhalla you start off with a simple card drafting mechanic then it moves into an area control game there's lots of battles it's just as good to get killed in this game as to win the battles lots of trickery being played there's a lot of hidden cards that you don't show until the end of the battles and yeah it's a cool mini or not game it's could do with a lot of tightening up as all of their games you could say about them but i just found it incredibly fun it didn't outstay its welcome and yeah it's it's one of the most fun times i've had playing games is uh with blood rage it's another one that I'm, I'm keen to try. I mentioned earlier, I've got, had a few reservations about it because it was Call Me or Not, because it was Kickstarter. And I know that since we started the episode many, many moons ago, Ronan's actually got to play this one in. So, uh, so let's hear what you thought. We're going to call this the Game Pit Legacy. It's <laughs> 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 everything's involved. So, earlier in this episode, you, you heard me saying, oh, I'm desperate to play it. I'm going to play it tomorrow. Well, tomorrow was last week. <laughs> and we have had a play of it. And what I'll say is that it really revealed to me how much expectations can affect a gaming experience. 
because I've gone in expecting, yeah, a kind of swingy, bitey, different powers type of a game. Fine. But what I got was that, but different. And I think I have some questions about the theming. In terms of the game we play, what it was... I felt like I got in a situation where I maybe had the strongest units out and I could control the areas I wanted to control. And yet by winning those battles, I was actually handing the two other players more points than I was getting for winning. Uh, There is the Loki strategy, which people have discussed. Loki powers allow you to score points for losing battles, and that's okay. I, I guess my issue I had with it was that I felt that it almost rewarded negative play too much and the person who was winning the battles wasn't scoring the most points. I don't mind that doing the local strategy will score you some points. So so you've kind of got, yeah, we lost, but we lost to glory. We went to Valhalla, so you know it's, it's not a total loss. Well, in this case, actually, losing was a total win. And had when that works in things like Chaos in the Old World, where you've got different gods with different powers and they win in different ways, I could accept it. You know, you had a god of deception and a, and a god of love and whatever, trying to be polite. Um, <laughs> that's fine. And, and then when they win by doing that sort of thing, you know and you're kind of careful and you're wary. For me, in a Viking-themed game, when that happens, it just kind of grated on me a bit. And we went into the last round and I was almost stuck in a position of, well, I can win these fights that I've planned to win, but by winning them, I lose the game. But I won them anyway and lost the game. And it just didn't, I didn't... Can I just say, it's the most grumpy I've ever seen you in a board game. In fairness, (laughs) all right, when we finished, I didn't say a word. (laughs) I literally didn't say a word. That's a good sign. But at least I didn't say a word. Uh, Um, I was trying to control it. So I think I'm going to make you play this at least one more time, Ronan, and we're going to do a proper review where you can air all your grievances, and I shall try and combat them, unless I've changed my mind, of course. But uh, I think we, we will revisit this another time. Yeah, I think just to go back to the point I started on is that now I will go into it with different expectations and possibly then learn to enjoy the gaming experience because I, I, yeah, I was looking forward to something and it turned out to be something else. Yeah, perhaps, there you it, go. perhaps in its defence, it does sound, from what you're saying, like exactly sort of not your type of game. You're kind of making it sound like you feel like you can be playing really well and yet not have an effect on the outcome, which, well, which is not... But, see, Playing really well is is playing within the rules. And actually, Sean played really well because he gave himself options. He could win a battle here or lose a battle there, and yeah. both of them would be good for him. I, I played purely to win battles, and that didn't turn out to be good enough to win the game. Now, it might also be I didn't play that str- that strategy as well as I could have, but I, it felt awkward to yeah, be in I, the position. I get where you can't, I definitely get where you're coming from because you actually chained some really nice powers together and you just didn't get any reward for it at all because because of the way me and the other player played it completely sort of turned that on its head also all your strength you had you you had cheaper units coming in you had the ability to put two units instead of one and you really played well in terms of to the, towards that strategy of dominating the board and I think I don't know if we lucked upon it or what, but we we actually happened upon a, the complete, as you said, the complete opposite of that, and it just completely negated your power. So, but yeah, I don't I haven't played it enough to tell you if that is going to happen all the time. But 
obviously it can happen so but yeah definitely one i want to explore more with you ronan yeah and, and there's so many people that love it and people whose opinion that i at least listen to if not always respect <laughs> um, that, i'm joking lots of people that, I, that you know i like to their opinion and they're loving it that I, I definitely feel like I need to play it again and get the frustration element out of the way and just go, right, okay, ha, you know, is there something in this game for me? I mean, you want, in general, you want games to have multiple paths to victory, don't you? So, I mean, it sounds like it's got that. I think the key is, is the dominate the board and win all the battles, is that a valid strategy sometimes? If the answer's no, then that seems a bit weird thematically. But it may be that on a different day that that is the winning strategy and actually it's just a game with a load of different ways you can go to win. Yeah, and that's why what Sean said is true, that we before we can give it any sort of a proper review, we'll have to play it a couple more times at least uh, and, and explore that game space, which generally means losing. <laughs> okay, Paul, da, 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 your number one game published in 2015 was... was the best game published in 2015. I don't want to hear any arguments. And it's Codenames by Vladis Shavatol and Czech Games Edition. We've mentioned it earlier in the episode. It's just a simple idea that's been perfectly, and I mean perfectly, executed. Anyone can play it, and if you get them to play once, they'll want to play again. They'll want to play straight away. And that's, I think, for me, that is a sign of a great game, something that non-gamers, gamers, whoever it is, the moment is finished, they want to start again. Being the guesses is a fun puzzle, while being the clue giver allows you to be creative, and you also get that delicious frustration I was talking about earlier on, where your team is kind of initially guesses correctly but then talk themselves out of it and go for your opponent's words instead it's i think on top of that on top of all the things we've said throughout the episode of, of how good a game is for me it's and i'm probably going to get a bit of stick about this it's got the best components of 2015 i've listened to loads of other podcasts where people have been banging on about the miniatures in blood rage or the amazing wooden bits from some year or other but that's for, for me that's nonsense loads of games have awesome miniatures you know Blood Rages are no better than 10 other games if you're going to pick Blood Rage you might as well pick Star Wars X-Wing or, or anything else the thing that this does is it does everything right the double sided cards with words written on both sides so you can read them from both ends of the table you can flip them over to start another game in you know in 30 seconds maximum they've even got a double sided card with coloured glasses every game one team will start and they have an extra clue that they have to guess correctly and rather than giving you two tokens to cover up the uh, cards with they give you one that's double sided but so you can identify it easily uh, between games the lenses of the, of the person's sunglasses are the colour of the opposition side to differentiate it from all the other cards it's just everything in it is spot on they couldn't have done anything better and that for me I think that's why it's got the best components it's just a, a mark of like everything else in the game it's just been done so well what did you guys think? well I chose it as my number three so I think it's a great choice it was on top of everything else my most played game of the year and I didn't start playing it till October and I got over 40 games in in the last quarter of the year so I, th- I do think it's a great choice best components of the year you got my radio frown there I don't know if you can hear it <laughs> I actually can hear you coming from maybe the most functional components of the year might be my award, but fantastic choice, Paul. Uh, love it. Carried on playing it into this year already, and I'm sure this will be getting played again and again and again. For me, just to reiterate, um, it hasn't quite clicked for me yet, whether I've not been in the right group or I just haven't had the right game, but uh, I've only played it once or twice. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, I can't see why it's in your top five. Uh, yet but I'm certainly willing to give it plenty more goes 
Yeah, I think you should do. I think it's just the amount of people it works with. I, I, I play games with with you guys, with heavy gamers. I, I play a lot of games with my other friends and with my Did family. Did you say ask guy heavy? Ask guys heavy gamers. Yeah, yeah. That's that's very personal. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but I know, so it works for a number of different groups, and that that really appeals to me in a game. And I think to defend myself with the components. I just think that good components should make a game easier to play, and that's what these do. They could have released this, put a lot less effort into the components, and it just wouldn't have worked so well. There'd have been a lot of annoying setup and stuff that they've completely avoided by their attention to detail. I think I just think that deserved to be congratulated, basically. Lovely. Point taken. So Paul has chosen one of the you know, top runners that lots of people are choosing as his number one game of 2015, and I've chosen the other one, Pandemic Legacy. And Sean, what did you choose as your top game of 2015? Uh, the other one, Pandemic Legacy. <laughs> the other, the, you chose the blue box and I chose the red box. That's, that's it, yes. Okay, should we flip a coin on who goes first then? You can crack on, old boy. Okay, so in the last end of year episode, I said that Pandemic Legacy was probably my number one thing I was looking forward to in gaming in 2016. We just spoke about Blood Rage, we spoke about expectations going into games. And if ever there was a game set up to fail by expectations, it had to be Pandemic Legacy. Because it had to live up both to the Pandemic system, it also had to live up to the promise of the Legacy system, which has been discussed to death, which Risk Legacy hinted at, I think, but for me didn't fully deliver on. And there was so much behind this and there were so many chances for this to be a misstep and it simply wasn't. It was what I was anticipating and more. It adds depth to the game of Pandemic. It means you care. It adds true meaning to your choices. It makes you worry about what you do and which cities you're doing it to and which roles you choose at the beginning of the game and how you're shaping the board and how you're allowing permanent effects to take place on the board because that's going to affect every other game you're going to take part in and that for me is what legacy should add to a game it pulls you in different ways it makes you second guess yourself when you play pandemic nowadays you kind of go okay i have a vague idea what i want to do in pandemic legacy it gave me that indecision that mystery of oh I'm actually not sure which is the right path to go down here. Every single outbreak matters. It has got that factor of, I want to see what's in the game. I I, I, I literally, you know, I, I want to see what's in the boxes. I want to see what's behind the tabs. I just want to see what's here because I haven't got the full game. There's that, that kid in you of, oh, what's next? What's next? What's next? Which is making people burn through plays of this. But also, I'm on a second playthrough. And I haven't got all the way through the first play, but I've started with a second group playing it. And it was still interesting. And the game developed in a different way and different decisions were made. And and so I think it has got more replayability than people are saying, although you all need to buy a second set. I've got four 10-rated games that are out of 700 or whatever I've ever rated. I can't give it a 10 until I finish it and I know how the full thing goes, but it's on course for a 10 for me. And I've just it's lived up to every hope I had and more. Pandemic Legacy. Sitting there on a nine at the moment, as I said, it's not quite a ten yet. Got to see how it finishes. But yeah, it, it surprised me. And we talk about sort of preconceptions going into games. And my conception was that it wasn't going to be great. I was worried about it. There was a time when I started, I decided I wasn't actually going to buy it because I didn't really get on with Pandemic. But yeah, I don't know what the legacy's done to it, but it's it's made me care. It's made me give a damn. Like the the mere utterance of the word Moscow in this household will will have us running 
fear of our lives. And Moscow is about to just literally destruct and fall into a hole on our game board. We protect Moscow like it is our firstborn. It's, <laughs> it's, it just makes you care. It makes you care about the characters. It makes you care about the different countries. It makes you care about the diseases. God, we don't need any more blacks coming because we can't cure the black. And it is all about the legacy factor. Yeah, you've got, the, as Ryan has said, the kid in the sweet shot factor of opening up the windows and the boxes and, you know, what's in there, what's in there? Oh, please, let's see what it is. Oh, there's going to be new counters. The ones you open, there's actually new plastic pieces. Oh, my God, it's like Christmas. Oh, spoilers, spoilers, Simon. Spoilers, spoilers. spoilers. <laughs> there are some plastic pieces in those boxes. Spoiler. Yeah, I just yeah. want you now, because I'm, I'm not as far through as you guys. I don't want you... Uh, I'm spoiler, not that far. I'm only about halfway through. I think we're in about June. You haven't July. seen the dragons yet, but... Oh, Ronan, Ronan! Can't that idiot. Even that's a spoiler. Now I know there aren't dragons. <laughs> I can't believe Ned Stark's in it. <laughs> Yeah, it's just a fantastic game and absolutely nail-bite. Wonderful, wonderful game and yeah, right at the cutting edge of design in the board gaming world. Yeah, as I said, I, I think this probably would have been higher for me if I'd got more plays in. My big mistake was choosing to play it with a group who I just don't see that often. And now I'm, I'm in this real quandary about can I sort of halfway through flip to another group I might play it more often with. But you're right, I was super excited going in and it really lived up to it. I think, without spoilers, this is in the rules of the first game. The changes they've made make you think about things in a completely different way. So, as I said, not a spoiler. If you are in a city when it outbreaks, bad things happen to you. So you've got a situation where normally you'd be rushing over to cities where there was loads of disease just to try and sort them out if you possibly could. Now, sometimes, you kind of let them go down because it's more important to you as an individual to keep your character safe and happy than it is to save all of those people in that city. And I think that's a really interesting thing to have been able to do with a game where you're kind of role-playing and making that decision of maybe those 200,000 people in San Diego can all die because I just can't take it anymore. Yeah, I mean, in terms of playing it with the second group, I did mention it there, but I, th- I found that playing it with the second group, I just play the board position. You know, I, I look to what, what's going on here. What can I see? And I'll react to what I can see. And then, therefore, I'm not trying to think ahead and be too smart and game it and all the rest of it. And it's perfectly doable and it's perfectly enjoyable because you just play the game as the set of rules is at that time. I think it's perfectly viable, Paul. Cool. I mean, I'm at the moment, I'm sort of... I think I'm very close. We've got a couple of friends who, who live nearby, not particular gamers, but got normal pandemic uh, for their brother for Christmas and, and played over Christmas and loved it and I'm very close to getting a second copy so we can sort of play it when we meet up with them um, do it do it do it <laughs> yeah I'm getting close so do you think as it progresses do you think it would it, is it does it stay at a reasonable level for non-gamers or does it sort of get into more and more complicated and would it get beyond them or do you think that it's, it's it, it throws things at you which make you I think as a gamer really worry where it's going I think it would almost be better not to be a gamer because you go, oh, these are the rules now. Okay, let's play the board now. I found that uh, myself and the other heavy gamers I played it with are, are trying to guess what's coming next, what's important. Oh, should we start doing this? Because it looks like the game's going to develop in that way. Whereas the people who are less into games are like, oh, we, what are you worried about? Oh, yeah. I'll just be my character and we'll just play the game. And you know, I, I, So I, I think it, it works both ways. Cool. Well, that's... That's them getting another 70 quid by the sounds of things. <laughs> 55 only. <laughs> right, so 
those are our very favorite games of 2015. We've got one more segment coming up for you. And thanks for sticking with us so far. So for our final segment, having gone over everything we've played this year, we're going to look forward to three games each that we are most looking forward to in 2016. Obviously, we haven't played any of these games because they're not out yet. So we'll just give you a quick little whetting of the appetite. And you can see if there's any of these you want to look up and get excited about with us. The first from me is an enterprise more in hope than expectation, and it's Spirit Island. This is from Greater Than Games, who made Sentinels of the Multiverse, who you'll know I absolutely adore. Well, at least it's from their fabled Nexus imprint, and that's the bad news, because it was actually from the fabled Nexus imprint of Greater Than Games that Galactic Strike Force came, and that was very, very bad. In terms of Spirit Island, the players are spirits of an island being colonised and you are fighting back against the colonisers who are trying to industrialise and build up uh, areas of, of population and towns and the rest of it. Um, you're using a variety between quick powers and slow powers which will take place over time. You have islanders who will aid you in your fight back but they're quite unpredictable so you can power them up but the results of your powering up you're not always sure what they're going to do. There's also blight that will come basically in the form of pollution and changing of the island that you're constantly trying to fight back. The, um, each spirit will be different. You've got variable player powers in the game. It's all simultaneous play. It's a cooperative. So it sounds like the downtime will be very limited, which is good news. And over the course of the game, as well as the colonists improving their technology and getting more powerful, you also become more powerful because you start sort of dormant nature spirits and you haven't had to, you know, everything's been rolling along in your ideal for so long and suddenly you're roused to power but you take a while to build up so it sounds like it's going to have a good crescendo to the game so I'm hoping this will be a return to form for Greater Than Games Sean? This one seems like a bit of a tower defence sort of style to it it's, it completely flew under my radar in terms of I just didn't hear anything about this but from what I've looked at it, it's it's got the appetite wetted it looks, it looks like it's going to be an entertaining game hopefully. that's what we're here for appetite wetting yeah, and similarly for me, uh, the theme's a bit different, which I think is good. As I've been banging on about theme a lot this episode, I think yeah, Ed sort of I've not really seen this before, and I think it's a it's a, an interesting addition. Theme does matter. It's all oh, Sean. He's got the t-shirt. It's all really in the in the play of this one, isn't it? And it's really hard to know, bef- you know, this far in advance. It's going to be down to that that card play. Is it innovative enough? Yeah, could be good. Could be okay, good. So, and also, it's been play tested by a bunch of the gamers at London on board. Uh, and they've enjoyed it so I'm going to believe those guys and go with it Sean your number three most looking forward to in 2016 so mine is a, a little known game called Scythe from Stoneware Games and Jamie Stegmighty this game is completely blowing up all over Board Game Geek and the internet people are doing their nuts about it it is a steampunk style sci-fi 4x game with variable player powers where you're all steaming across your steaming across <laughs> steaming across <laughs> and seems to be doing exactly what it says on the tin and we had a quick look when we were over in Essen actually I didn't like the look of the game but I read up about some of the mechanics and what's going on in the game and that's what made me kickstart it so it's coming my way in 2016 and I'm very excited about it I was so nearly in on this with you I think what drew me back with the two things you mentioned I agree with you 
although I loved the art in the run up to it, they released some of the card art, and I think it's really lovely. The actual overall look of the game is a bit of a mess. The kind of card art doesn't really jive with the plastic pieces. They've got wooden pieces and plastic pieces. It doesn't all seem to sit together as a whole. And in addition to that, for me, which is probably why you backed it and I didn't, I don't think it will do what it says on the tin. I think it promises so much that I'd be very surprised if it managed to pull it off. If it does, it'll be fantastic. But I think it's Kickstarter. It's trying to do everything, be all things to all people. I think probably for me, I think this is destined to be a disappointment. Yeah, I'm on Team Paul here. The artwork and the theme are pitched perfectly to appeal to their market. The minis obviously look interesting. The fact they're putting out those renders of the person with the bear as as your sort of you in the game, the cool stuff and the mechs. I don't think the gameplay could possibly match the expectations on this, or at least it would be very, very difficult. And there may be a backlash on this one. I'm trying to stay calm. I'm trying not to raise my expectations again because I don't think they're going to be matched because the gameplay stuff I've seen on it just has not got me that excited. It looks a little bit too hard to spread out, a little bit too hard to get anything done. I don't really like the story element of turning over the cards. And, and side, you know, I'm, I'm happy you play it. I'm glad Sean backed it, but I'm not very excited about this one. Right, so moving swiftly on, mine number three uh, is almost as far at the other end of the spectrum as you could get. Uh, mine is a, a little game from an indie publisher called Leaving Earth. It's by Joseph Fatila, um, and it's published by the Luminaris Group, which I think is his own company, and this might be their only game to date. You're taking the role of a 1950s space agency uh, from competing com- uh, countries, and you, your sort of job is to research new technologies, build spacecraft, and ultimately launch missions. There's a bit of a risk management thing going on. The more you research a new technology, the more reliable it becomes, but the more time and resources you spent on it while your opponent could be jetting off to Mars in something held together by hopes and dreams, and if they're lucky enough, it just might come off. It's billed as a sort of more streamlined High Frontier, and now I've never played High Frontier, but I've been so close. The theme appeals to me so much, and I've just been sort of say, put off by the kind of eight-hour playtime, and I think this is meant to be a bit shorter, a bit more streamlined, and a bit easier to get into. I don't really know anything about the designer, and... Having said it's meant to be easier, I'm a little bit put off by the rulebook, which is reportedly 60 pages long, but the theme has really, really grabbed me. The box is beautiful, and I think even the name is really evocative, and I, I think it's great. Yeah, this could be amazing, but I did I did look at that 60-page rulebook. It starts with explanations of simulations of payloads and thrust and other things you hear from High Frontier, and it, that sends me slightly running, screaming, someone else might have to learn this and teach me. It goes for the realistic approach with regards to space travel, which is not like the next game we're going to talk about, but I am looking forward to it, and actually backers have started getting this one out already. There's like a six-week draw time on ordering it over in the US and receiving it. Yeah. It's got a really strong solo mode that I know people are very much enjoying, a bit of a table hog, so I think higher player counts, it may not be that great, but in terms of one or two players, this could be a very, very strong title. I want to see how it goes over multiple plays because one of the comments I've seen is that you see photos of people playing and they all seem to have the same layout of cards and be doing roughly the same path through things. So whether that replayability is there or it's just getting efficiency on doing the same actions over each game. So I'm I'm definitely keeping an eye on it, Paul. I think this is a good choice. For me, yeah, Paul, I'm right with you in terms of High Frontier. I actually went as far as buying High Frontier and just got completely befuddled by the rule book and everything that goes with it. It was That box was handy for catching your tears, though. (laughs) It was. It was perfect. I think I might have heard 
somewhere. I'm not sure where I've imagined or not, but there is going to be a High Frontier light coming out. Mr. Eklund is uh, designing a light version of High Frontier for all the people who are too stupid to play it the first time around. So I don't know if that's going to be... There are three hands up in the game pit studio. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, that could be in direct competition with this, but yeah, definitely a theme I'm interested in. And if you do end up getting it, Paul, and would be kind enough to learn it for us, I'd gladly play it with you. Well, I think I'm I'm close. I think I may well do that. As I say, the theme appeals to me, and the art. Just go if you're even if you don't care about the theme, go and look at the art of this game. It's absolutely beautiful. I, I like this theme of you guys buying the games that I'm kind of interested in, so that I can play them first. We're going to move on to my number two. Look forward to game, and it almost rolls on exactly from Leaving Earth. It's Solarius Mission. It's a midweight Euro, and it's from the design team that made Legronco, which is a game I've very much enjoyed so far. We've left Earth and leaving Earth, and now we're out there, and we are in our spaceship, and we are looking to colonise different planets and make space stations in areas of space. But rather than the sort of realistic approach of leaving Earth, this is very much in a pulp science fiction setting with ray guns and that sort of thing going on it's a dice drafting game which is something we've talked about for the likes of castle dice which is a very promising mechanism i'm not sure i've ever seen it used that fantastically yet but i've got lots of hope for it there's also resource management as you'd expect from the legronka designers it sounds a little bit like alien frontiers on steroids and that gets me excited for solaris mission and it gets me excited too it looks good I've looked at the prototype pictures on BGD. There's hex grids. There's individual player mats. Dice drafting. What's not to like? The theme, again, I think that pulp space theme, I moaned a little bit about inaccessible themes earlier on. And I think had it been a hard sci-fi shooting aliens, having a fight, I think that would have turned me off. But that pulp space theme, I think, these days is accessible enough to everybody. And yeah, this this one looks like a, a potential hit of next year. Yeah, I'm I'm right along again. Going to complete the agreement. I'm right alongside you, boys. I'm looking forward to this one. Uh, I don't think that there's much that is innovative about it, from what I can see. But a big fan of Alien Frontiers. Big fan of space games. Big fan of dice drafting. So yeah, bring it on. Definitely up for it. So lots of agreement on Solaris mission. I'm sure there's going to be lots of disagreement about Sean's next choice. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) okay so my number two choice for looking forward to next year is star wars rebellion i'm sticking with the small small junior indie are you been poking around my little indie you know you might get five or six copies in this country of this but it it seems to be a sprawling almost political game of star wars it's not so much about the pew pew it's about what you do behind the scenes and expanding your arm across the galaxy a lot of people are comparing this with twilight imperium i'm not 100 percent sure myself uh, board seems certainly seems very similar but definitely one to be excited about anything in the star wars range i'm, I'm going to be looking at so yeah definitely one for me next year i think uh, as opposed to twilight imperium my impression was it's star wars of the ring it just reminded me of War of the Ring a lot when I was looking at it. The gameplay description is great. Yeah, it couldn't be more exciting. You've got the individual characters from Star Wars going out and doing missions and affecting what's going on the board, and then the strategic overview as well. The, the, it looks like it's long. Looks like there's loads of you know theme and story. It's one of those have a couple of beers game, play it over a number of hours. The ones that we really rarely get together and do, but we'd love to. We love the idea of. So I'm really excited about Star Wars Rebellion. 
Oh, bring it on, Sean. Bring it on. Uh, for me, this could go either way. I think it's, you know, it could be uh, Forbidden Stars, fun of Fantasy Flight every now and then, hit out of the park. But then I think with equal regularity, they produce something like The Witcher or whatever that god-awful... I, for, I, I for, The Witcher around here. <laughs> or just whatever, step back. Or whatever that god-awful 40k version of Talisman was. I, don't, I just don't know looking at it. I'm really undecided, but I think... Like with a few previous games, I'm more than happy for one of you to buy it and then I'll work it out afterwards. Brilliant, brilliant. Paul, your number two choice? So, yeah, my number two, I'm getting cl- dangerously close to the end of the show here. My number two is Seven Continent by Ludovic Rudy and Bruno Sorter. Now, this might be a bit of a surprise uh, to people having heard me rubbish story-driven games for the for the entire episode, but this one might be the one. It's a choose-your-own-adventure style game, really based on the choose-your-own-adventure books. It's big and sprawling. It's got a save game system. They say in the description that you're not going to get this finished in one sitting. They've made this save game system, so reportedly it's easy to stop and carry on where you were, you left off from. I think what appeals to me is how heavily story-focused this is. It's a huge open world, but they've not tried to sort of stick on other game mechanics and sort of muddy the water. They've just gone, this is it. It's all story, and you buy into that or you don't. I know you guys have played a print-and-play copy and said good things uh, about it, so you uh, can No, no, throw... not print-and-play. Thank you very much. We're much posher than that. We were given <laughs> the first 5 or 10% of the game by the very kind publisher, Serious Pulp. Well, there you are then. I'm sure you can say more, more good things about it. Than I only pulled you up on that, mate, because there was a print-and-play uh, amount of cards put out there, uh, and we got more than that. So Okay, well, just... that's fair enough. It's a good, good clarification to make. So... Enlighten us. Let us know what you well, think. The only reason this isn't number one on the list is because I have played it and really, really enjoyed it and backed it. This is the game I am most excited about coming out in 2016. I just didn't feel like it qualified for this list. For me, it was a bit cheaty. Strong story, strong choices, lots of variety. I am super, super excited for Essen 2016. Well, I'll have it in my grubby paws and I will be playing it. It's one of those that, sort of, despite yourself, like my massive mixed feelings about Kickstarter, it's something that's it's hard not to get excited by the amount of stuff you know, this Kickstarter campaign is generating. Is that it's, it's kind of true? No, it's, you can go to their website and it's still there to be backed. That is something I did not need to know. <laughs> just, just dropping that in there for you. Why would you? Why would you do that to us? <laughs> God, I thought I was safe. The amount of times I clicked on the Kickstarter page and was like hovering over the back button. It, I tell you what I found hard, the reason why I really, really paused on backing it was because once you started backing it, you wanted all of it because the expansion looked interesting and obviously you need the variety because you're playing through a similar scenario each time and it was a lot of money for a bunch of cards and a choose-your-own-adventure. But that chance to play it pushed me over the edge. And I was like, Sean, I probably should let you talk. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay no no you're saying exactly what I needed you to say uh, yeah I think I was I was there almost on a few occasions it is a, f- a fantastic looking game and so much promise there I wasn't a massive fan of the star system in which you achieve uh, various tasks and what have you but um, I think that was enough just to make me put it off because I knew you were back in it Ronan so that's probably the only reason, yeah. <laughs> You're buying it, I'll, I'll steal yours. There's a, a strong theme here. Right, just going to break away from the boys for a few moments before we tell you the games that we are most looking forward to in 2016. 
very much in that subject matter. This is a game coming out in 2016. In fact, it's being kickstarted right now. So have a listen to this and see if you fancy it, and uh, we'll give you the Kickstarter information at the end. So this is Nightmare Forest Dead Run. It's come from. Dave Killingsworth and and Solar Flare Games. This is a push your luck game where you are based in a forest and all of a sudden you realize that the forest isn't what it seems. There is actually zombie critters and creatures all around you and you've got to now make a break for it and try and get to safety. That's the theming of the game. It's a game where you're going to lay cards down, you've got a bunch of dice that you're going to be rolling and you're as I said, it's a push-your-luck game where you're going to be pushing through the forest trying to get to safety. How hard you push, that's completely up to you and sometimes down to those dice rolls. You're going to be finding equipment on the way. You're going to be meeting other people who are going to help you making your way through the forest. And But most importantly, you're going to be encountering the denizens of the forest right the way from zombie squirrel to a zombie grizzly bear. And further you go into the forest or out of the forest the harder the creatures get every time you encounter a creature you're going to be rolling dice the weapons you pick up give you a more dice and more effective use of those dice to see how far you can push on and this is quite simply the first one to the end or to escape the forest is deemed the winner now this game it absolutely centers on fun nightmare forest is a game that doesn't take itself too seriously and that's exactly how you should approach it the emphasis here is on fun and the game provides plenty of it whether you're laughing at your opponent's bad luck taking that ill-conceived gamble yourself or celebrating a lucky dice roll you and your friends will generally be smiling while you're doing so so we had a good few games of this and we actually played with uh, ronan's daughter his eldest daughter and she absolutely loved it she's just turning 13 so i kind of think that it's a family game and for slightly older children but there's enough there for gamers I wouldn't say people who are into your heavy, heavy Euro gamers are particularly going to enjoy this. It's far too much random. But if you like the zombie theme, you like a bit of comedy. There is comedy. And the, the, the characters and the, the creatures are quite funny. They are. Look, a zombie squirrel it is funny when you're being attacked by a zombie squirrel. You can also have a chance to scupper your opponents in this one. You can lay traps for them. You can make noise, draw more zombies to them. So there's there's that. There's a take that element. A very slightly, a slight take that element. It really doesn't outstay its welcome. And yeah, if any of that sounds vaguely interesting to you, go and have a look now. As I said, it's being kickstarted right now. Got until the 1st of March 2016 to get in on this. It, we liked it. We didn't love it. I don't think it's the best thing ever made, but it's certainly fun and it's certainly an interesting attempt at that genre, that push your luck genre. And as I said, Nightmare Forest, Dead Run, if you fancy it. Go and have a look on Kickstarter. Okay, moving on to our top choices of games that got us excited for 2016. And my choice for this is Star Trek Frontiers. This is a Star Trek themed version of Mage Knight. Now, I've played Mage Knight a handful of times. But what I'll say about it uh, is I was never the one teaching it. I've never read the rule book and it never really stuck in my head. And one of the issues I have for that was I think it's because of the generic fantasy theme. And you come across that generic fantasy theme so often 
that a monastery in Mage Knight is no different to me than a monastery in many, many other games and books and films and whatever it be. They, they weren't sticking the differences and where I could go and I found it very hard to plan because I know if I go there, I've got a chance of doing this or recruiting, that sort of thing. I enjoyed Mage Knight. I rated it highly, but I couldn't really get excited and really into the game at any point. Uh, possibly it just needed more effort from me. People are thinking away team for this, for Star Trek, and that you'll be walking around and playing whatever you. I think... For me, what I hope to see is that this would be a ship that you're flying around. And when you're recruiting, you're recruiting crew members. And when you go to planets, you have encounters. And that's the away mission part of it. And I just feel like that sort of storytelling and that sort of difference and the strength of the Star Trek theme will help the rules stick to me. It will probably make me want to play it more often because... I'm a little bored of, of fighting sort of the next orc to come along or the next goblin archer. I, I want to do other things. And it's something that Paul talked about earlier of different themes. And all right, Star Trek's not the most original theme, but Star Trek with this strong rule set, for me, has got me very, very excited. And yeah, it's, it is a personal choice, but Star Trek Frontiers, top of my list. Well, for me, I'm looking for another decent Star Trek game. I mean, the only one that I can name off the top of my head is Fleet Captains, which I was a big fan of. Um, then you had sort of Attack Wing. You had the Knizia game that wasn't, again, wasn't great. And then you had the five-year mission from Mayfair, which got absolutely slaughtered. The deck builder that so, wasn't very good. We could go on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just the, the license needs a good game. So I'm really, really hopeful that this is going to be that game that the license needs because Star Wars is just running away with great games at the moment as far as I can see. But yeah, Star Trek needs that great game. So I will be very interested to have a look at this one. I agree with you that the license deserves a good game, but I'm just not sure this will be it. Wids Kids combined with Star Trek just makes me think of Attack Wing and they really didn't do a very good job of that. I don't know. I'm not hopeful. Um, for me... I think Mage Knight was a bit too complicated. For what you got out of it, there were a bit too many moving parts and the rules overhead was, was too much for me to get invested. I can't imagine this being much different. So I think probably I'll, uh, I'll leave this one for you two to play when I'm not there. <laughs> I'll say one of the things that's given me hope is the fact that Andrew Parks is the person who's moving it across. And I love Core Worlds. I was one of the, uh, seems to be a few people who got Canterbury and actually played it and enjoyed it. <laughs> I think that's an interesting, if, if quite dry game. And so I'm interested to see what he does with it. Right, so my number one choice for most excited for 2016. Given the previous two, you'd think it was a close thing, but it really wasn't. I've talked about how I absolutely adored the legacy system in Pandemic Legacy. Now throw in a dungeon crawler sprawling fantasy world and add that legacy system and you've got me in a tin and Paul running uh, away and Paul running and Paul running for the hills it's let's not preempt my comments <laughs> <laughs> yeah my game is Gloomhaven from Cellafair Games and designed by Isaac Childress he did Forge Wars which I thought was a really strong fantasy Euro type game and the buzz coming from this one was just impossible for me to ignore it's a massive fantasy world that changes as you move through it if you do certain things you close off areas you open up areas you upgrade yourself you upgrade the areas around you people you meet exactly what i'm looking for the Baldur's gate plus hopefully of the board game world that's what i'm looking for that's what i hope it is and i'm so excited about this 
Oof. What can I say? <laughs> Shiver of disgust. Let's just give him ten minutes to talk. Let's go get a drink. <laughs> it's it's, it's Kickstarter. It's got a dungeon crawl theme. Normally, my expectation level would not be high, but you know what? Forced to by by you bring it up on the show. I've I've, I've read a bit about this, and you know what? The card play mechanic does sound quite interesting. And I think probably if you pick this up, I'll be happy to play it with you, but maybe only once. Well, that's quite high praise. <laughs> okay, I, I genuinely don't know which game Gloomhaven is because it's come along at the same time as a clutch of campaign, card-driven fantasy games which are coming out, including the Numenera one and, I don't know, millions and millions of others. When we covered Pathfinder Adventure Card Game, I think we said this was going to happen, that the idea was exciting and interesting. It may not be the best implementation of that idea, but... I think what we're seeing here is that the legacy of Pathfinder Adventure Game is much more important than that game itself has proven to be. And it's opened up a new era. It's almost like Dominion and Deck Builders, which is the standard one we always talk about. I feel like Adventure Card Games started at Pathfinder and are now developing. And we're going to see interesting new ones. I just don't know which one of them is going to be great. And I'm not going to be buying 20 of them to find out which one is because they're in a huge investment in time to really get into them and delve in and find out what's the best system. So my mission is to make Sean buy 20 of them so that he can delve into them and tell me which is the best one. And then I'll grab hold of that one. Give yourself a proper task. <laughs> yeah, you've got to make it a challenge. That's easy. <laughs> <laughs> make Sean. All right. Make Sean buy them and play them. Yeah, now we're talking. Yeah, So, so this for me is kind of indicative of what I, th- what I think is almost a new genre that's come out. It's a venture card game idea. And uh, if this is the, the, the one, then great, I'll jump on board. If it proves to be a different one, I'll jump on board that one. I- I'm keeping my powder dry. Right, Paul. And so that's it. To round it out, my number one most anticipated game of uh, 2016 is Brazil. Uh, this is the next one from Nuno Bizarro Sentiero and Paolo Soldado. Uh, published by What's Your Game. It's about gold mining in 18th century Brazil. It's a card-driven game, engine-building mechanics. And as I say, it's the next in the line of Madeira, Nippon, um, and the designers also did uh, Panamax. It looks like a heavy Euro. One note of concern for me, BGD description does include a mention of taking into account the common good. And that, that sounds dangerously like a kind of cooperative element to the game, which is something I really don't like my cooperative and competitive games mixed. But... Other than that, I'm getting big into heavy Euros again, and uh, I've enjoyed the last couple that these guys did, so I've got high hopes for this one. Okay, so I'm just going to rinse and repeat my comments from earlier on, in that I do want to play one of the games in this this series of games from these designers, just to see if I like their style. They all kind of look the same from a distance, but yeah, this could be the one I try. Maybe if it comes out in Essen this year, I'll give it a go and play it, but yeah, that's I haven't played any of the the range, so I can't comment further. Uh, yeah, Paul mentioned their Nippon Panamax Madeira, and what I found with those games, they're good games. I enjoy them, but they always kind of float around my happy place, and they never come into land. They're, they're, they're tickling me gently, but their sweet whispers of gaming have never been fully fulfilled. So I'm cautiously optimistic. So far, these are games, and in fact, I own Nippon and Panamax, and I'm kind of happy to own them, but I never seem to really grab them off the shelf. They're so close to being great designers for me that maybe this is the one that tips over. I'll enjoy playing Paul and or Sean's copy. 
Yeah, I think I agree. I, I like they're strong games, but maybe not my favourite. But I think they're improving. I think they're relatively early on in their design careers, and and I think they've been getting better. So I'm hoping that this will be well, the one that really you know hits the sweet spot. Nippon's got a lot of good stuff in there. A lot of good stuff. I know I've only played it once and need to play it some more. But um, halfway through my first game, I was like, wow, this game could be great. Didn't end that well, but we don't need to talk about that. <laughs> Do you know what though? I've played it again since then, and what we thought was a massive problem didn't didn't raise its head the second time. What? So it might be one off. <laughs> we thought there was a turn order issue whereby the first player has a big advantage, and there's been a lot of discussion about that at Board Game Geek. And the designers came out and said, "Yeah, we we talked about alleviating it a bit more, but at the end of the day, the easiest one was just to give everyone else one more point for where they were in turn order, and that." really made my alarm bells ring now I know they played again and Puria who was the most experienced player went last and won but he was also the most experienced player yeah the only thing I would say about it and I think probably they could have done more is I went second and I still felt exactly the same as I did going last in the first game which is there was never a good choice the thing I wanted to do had just been taken so I think it kind of feels like that wherever you are and having gone second, like yeah, maybe it is though. I went second and I came second in the game. And if you take Puria's experience out, there's, there's maybe, a real maybe good there post is still on the Nippon there. forums listing the six advantages you get for going first. That's <laughs> quite persuasive, I have to say. <laughs> but then it, it it married with my point of view, so you're always going to go, "Oh, that's a good post." Yeah, yeah. Anyway, we've kind of got off the course of Brazil, and that's <laughs> came to 2016 when mini reviewing Nippon that's it that's all the games we're going to cover we're going to rattle you with some music and we're going to say our goodbyes I hope you've stayed with us through that marathon run through 2015 and thank you very much if you have done Apologies once again for the long delay. Thank you very much for your patience. Thanks to everyone who's been in touch. Thanks for the emails and tweets and BGGs and everything else. Thank you very much to Sean. Thank you, of course, to Paul, our very special guest, the only man we could think of to help us summarise 2015. Well, thanks very much. It's been a pleasure. I did think at one point that maybe we'd have to start summarising 2016 as well, but we've made it. It's all right. It's only October, so we've got we've got a clear two months before we have to start thinking about the next one. Oh, uh, we. <laughs> I've played Seventh Continent again. We will be back soon. We have got a bunch of games to review, including the likes of Rum and Bones and Yomi and others. Thank you very much, and we will speak to you soon. Bye. And as always, you can catch us on the Dice Tower Network, along with a whole host of fantastic board gaming podcasts. We are also on 2d6.org. Go there for written audio and visual gaming content of the highest caliber. If you want to email us, we are on the Game Pit Podcast at gmail.com. We are on Twitter at Game Pit Podcast. We have a Facebook page. And if you want to just shoot the breeze and come say hello or ask a question, a great place to do that is the Board Game Geek Guild. We're also on Stitcher and iTunes, so come and find us there. And thank you for listening. Music by E. Aaron. <laughs>